Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. How many times did Austin Lane get fined under Jack the Oreo? Oh. What are you going to set the over-under at? Uh, let's see all the fights I've heard you were in. This is uh, this is years. Well, I guess it'd be 2010 and 2011. You were talking, Brent. So two years. I'm gonna say very young. Three and a half. Three and a half is the over. Three and a half times. Oh, that's what you think it's gonna happen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the over under. Okay. So I set the over under at three and a half different times. Austin Lane was fined. By mm-hmm. Jack Del Rio in a two-year span. And this is for anything, right? Any now, kind listen, of what, give us an idea team. what you can get fined for. I mean, a number of things: being late to a meeting, not having the proper dress attire. There you go. <clears throat> um, what else? Uh, losing your playbook. Um, Fighting sometimes, I think you might be able to get fined for that. Can you get fined for fighting? No comment. What and what are the varying dollar amounts for fines? Like, what's the minimal you'll get fined? Usually, it's in the five hundred dollar range. That's the minimal. Usually, yeah. Wow. Maybe. I, I don't about know. About five hundred. We'll find out. I mean, I'm sure you've asked questions about this. I've been fined before. I'm sure you've asked questions. How to know the the, the, the dollar value? How, how to know the, the monetary value amount of What's that? What's the most you've ever heard of somebody getting fined for outside of an NFL imposed fine? Oh man. Any like a teammate? Did you, and you don't have to name them. Yeah. Uh, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. Really? Yes. And so if, like I, if, I, if I say what it's for, it's going to give it away, so I can't say what it was for. Okay. But, um, yes. But tens of thousands of dollars. Wow. That's pretty... Couple, uh, yeah, I'd probably say like 20 something. Man, that's uh, big bucks. Yeah. You know what I'd love to do someday? I wonder if Tom Coughlin will tell us this. How much in his is his career fine earnings? <laughs> 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 you yeah. know what I mean? That's yeah. not properly stated by me. Yeah. But, like, what's his career fine counter? There it sure. is. That's better. Yeah. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome for <laughs> yeah. sure. Like, I wonder if he knows the number. Absolutely. You think he does? Do you think it's high priority? I mean, I, I feel like if you're a coach, you should probably know a little bit, right? I know. But it's yeah. something. Where do you really, like, keep track of that? Yep. <laughs> Have you ever been fine before? No. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know nah. how you, you sports media people roll. I, I'm yeah, still getting I used to the to the waters here. I don't think. Uh, no, we don't make enough. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever worked in a place where I'd get fined. Yeah. You know, not in that arena. It's kind of unique, actually. Sure. You know, you can be suspended. Yes. Uh, you can be benched. I mean, you know, you can't. You it can be benched where you can't perform your task, your yeah. job. I mean, you can be sent home from work, right? Yeah, you can oh be yeah. suspended from work. You can mm-hmm. be put on probation at work. You can get a visit for the principal's office or HR or whatever. Yeah. But really, you're not going to be fine. That's very unique in your in in an athlete's line of work that they go after the pocketbook, and obviously, it's mm-hmm. it's usually a pretty good one. Absolutely, and it's crazy because every team, you know, does things a little differently. If I remember right. Uh, Coach Del Rio, you know, he, he ran a pretty tight ship, but at the same time, he's a former player, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this about with him a little bit as well. So, um, you know, the term players coach always gets used, but from the standpoint of, of, of finding, you know, or, um, you know, just things like that. I think he was a little more laid back um, as opposed to some guys where if you're not wearing a certain color tie, you're getting yeah. fined and things like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a little ridiculous mm-hmm. if you ask me, uh, but 
Oh, what, I, was it taking, is what it is. I was taking fashion risks now when in Chicago because Tressman for preseason, he's like, you know, you guys can just wear some casual, uh, short, you know, some pants and some nice casual shoes. I was rocking all black slip-on Vans with a pair of black jeans and an old navy dress shirt. Got by though, and the best part was some of the rookies were like, "Dang, man, you look pretty good today." I'm like, "I bet, yeah, <laughs> old navy baby, that's how we're doing it." Fashion, yeah, fashion, fashion. Absolutely. See, old navy is part of Banana Republic. That's yes, where sir. I go. Yes, sir. Um, uh, yeah. uh, Jack Republic will right. join us uh, in the five o'clock hour today on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I, I, we were able to track him down. I'm glad he's uh, able to join us for a bit, and we'll talk a little bit about what you just mentioned. The balance. I want to ask him about the balance between because because I do think he was labeled, and what his perception is, we'll find out. But or his reality was yeah. perception was that he was a player's coach. Yeah, and, and in my opinion, how can you not be though? I mean, if, if you're a former player, and granted, you know he the, the game has changed. I'm sure when he played to when he's a coach, but how can you not be a player's coach if you're a former player? Because you you know too much. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think Doug Marone's a player's coach? How would See, you perceive yeah. what's your perception of Doug Marone? And oh, yeah, I'm not saying I mean, reality. Yeah, I mean, I'm not looking in. Absolutely not. I feel like he's more of like Bill Belichick. No, that, that's a great point. You know, um, same thing with Mike, Mike Malarkey. I don't think Mike Malarkey was necessarily a player's coach either. That's a good point. Malarkey yeah. played. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so I guess so it does. I, no, you're, you're right, man. You're, it, you you know, hit him ahead. And that's where I think. See, I think Jack at times was, and I think he was kind of a crossbreed, if you will. Yeah. You know, uh, where, you know, you have to remember, too. See, Jack, some of these guys were, it feels like they played for a long time, but Del Rio played for a long time in the league, mm-hmm. and his last year, I think, was with the Dolphins in 1996. So if you think about he was coaching in 2003, he was seven years removed from his career. That's not a long time. No. You know, that's not 25 years later. That's not, hey, back in the day when I played, you know. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't it. I mean, he was seven years removed. Now, of course, you get to 2010 or his Broncos stint. Now you're talking some 15, 20 years away from when he played. So the game, the people, different. That does feel like a generational sure. uh, difference. So it will be really interesting to catch up with uh, Jack Del Rio. So many fronts. We, we could probably spend a couple of hours with him. Yeah. Hopefully he shares some stories. You brought up a great point yesterday, and we will ask him about this. You know, his nemesis here in Jacksonville was Peyton Manning for so many years. It was all of our nemesis for a while. Yeah, long I mean, the Colts were, it was like Peyton Manning twice a year, twice, yeah. you know, one of the best ever to do it. Mm-hmm. And you had to beat that guy. Well, then he goes to Denver, and he's playing against that guy in practice. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. a defensive coordinator. Yeah. So I bet he has a Peyton Manning story or two. Hopefully he's willing to share with it. And uh, uh, we'll talk to Jack Del Rio later on. As we continue this 25th season celebration, I think it will be uh, fun to catch up with JDR. And what's amazing to think, too, is from 1995 to 2011, this organization had two head coaches. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, then they had Mike Malarkey, Gus Bradley, Mel Tucker on an interim basis uh, somewhere in there, yep. and uh, and and now Doug Marone. So they've had te- technically really three uh, in the last eight years. Yeah, but four overall by by uh, by name. Yeah, and they only had two for the first. So uh, sixteen years of the organization. Well, don't forget. So yeah, you see, you had Bill Rio, you had Malarkey, uh, you had Tucker for a little bit. Gus Bradley and now Marone. Yeah. yeah. What did so, I say? Uh, I think they only said four, five. It'd be, well, it'll be four well, since Del Rio. Oh, I got you. Since yeah. Del Rio, yes. Then four, yeah. But two for the first 16 years of the organization. It's crazy, man. And that's pretty good. Yeah, you know? it's I great. Mean, it's, I think they, they were tracking kind of like uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. You know, Steelers have, what have they had? Like, 
isn't something crazy like three coaches in franchise in the last like however many years might even be franchise history. Right. Something nuts. Yeah. Uh, between Noel Cower and and now Tomlin. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just don't fire coaches in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So the continuity uh, certainly stays. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, that's mine. Oh, you yeah. think uh, fine. Jack's boss? Hey. Fine. Hey, that's going to be a fine right there. Maybe we should just put it in Jack's boss's uh, uh, tip jar oh, as he's it. driving people around. There we around. go. Yeah, yeah. There we go. On. Well, you owe him a lot more than I'm going to owe him. <laughs> yeah, I owe him that's something. all I know. Um, but uh, the Tampa Bay Rays owner talked today just a short time ago, not backing down. Says basically, we're out of here in 2000. Things are changing in 2027. Hmm. They're changing. We're either yeah. we're splitting time or we're getting out of here. It's not going to work. It basically is a bit is not going to work. This is you know this is more than when it came out about looking and exploring for Montreal and Tampa. I was like, all right, well, they, they, this is a threat. In my mm-hmm. opinion, it, it was a threat. Well, after today's news conference, it's more like, no, we've done the research and this is not working and it's not going to work with 81 home games here in Tampa. That's so, a different story. Yeah, it is a different story. And what percentage of you, Brent, would you say this is a bluff? And what percentage you would say this is actually the truth and um, they're going to be gone? I think uh, after – I mean, all I have to do is go on words. I was yeah. I was thinking it was a bluff up until probably this afternoon. And now okay. I think, okay, they've just – they've done enough research. Now, my question is, well, where is the research coming into all this thing? I mean, has yeah. Tampa changed? Has the dynamic changed? How did you get a franchise there 20 years ago? I was just 20 years ago mm-hmm. and didn't see this coming potentially. You know, yeah. what, what was so different and how you got it here? But to me, honestly, the, the Tampa story we've kind of talked about, it, I think there's it's so far in the future of 2027. It's still eight years down the road that yeah. something could happen. But I do have a question. And I want to talk about it coming up. Is where does your fandom lie if you're the race? Or let's put it in Jacksonville from a hypothetical that we don't want to explore. Mm -hmm. If you really were to split time, would you just say sayonara? See you later. I'm not a fan of you anymore. Would you say, well, I'm still going to those four home games here in Jacksonville. I'm still rooting for the Jags. I'm a Jags fan. I grew up on the Jags. Uh, I mean, what are the Rays going to feel? Because there is an element of this where... And, and we'll get into it more. My thoughts are, man, you like to own that team as a fan. Mm-hmm. Or, in this case, be a governor of the team. Sure. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you seriously want you want to take pride. There's a lot of pride well, in Well, then fandom, you also right? want to go to playoff games. What, what, what would you do for playoff games? Well, I, I think all those things would eventually be worked out. That would be fascinating. Yeah. But I, I just think as a fan, you want to say, you know, if I'm in Jacksonville, and, like, say, Ty and Kaylee, they go up to see my folks uh, in in a couple of weeks, and we go visit. And they're like, yeah, we got the Jags. They want to talk about the Jags. They want to wear their Jaguar shirt. There's something prideful about being a a city that has the Jacksonville Jaguars and a pro sports team or a college team. Uh, yeah. You know, if you're living in Gainesville, say the Gators. There's something that gets taken away a little bit if you're now. Well, yeah, we're here sometimes, but we're to, here the other time. To me, if I was a fan, it would kind of cheapen the whole experience. It you know, does, it would but the question the you have to ask yourself, and you have to be real honest with yourselves here, folks, is does is it worth cheapening it rather than taking it all away? And losing it. You know, mm-hmm. And I think that's the question, and that's going to be a question in Tampa down the road. I don't think we'll ever see that in Jacksonville. I don't. There are some people that believe that we could see that in Jacksonville, and, and I just don't. But... uh 
But I think it's worth from a hypothetical standpoint since it really could happen in Tampa. And does it, if it works, here's what nobody wants to think about. If it does work, does it somehow become a model? Yeah. You know, yeah. does it become a sports model for teams that are not entrenched with crazy fans? That would never happen in Boston. No. Never happen in Chicago. But could it happen in South Florida? And could it happen in listen, other parts of the country? And I'm not an owner. I'm not a billionaire, so I have no reason to talk. But I think it's kind of a bad play to say, yeah, we're going to ship up and get out of here in the next couple of years. I mean, what do you think that does to Rays fans when they hear that? Like, do you think it's going to make them be like, oh, well, we should probably go support the team? No, it's going to be no. like a big middle finger, then forget you. Well, we're yeah. not going to go to the game anyways. You well, guys are moving. It kind of feels like they already are doing it. No, no, not supporting yeah, the I, team. I've seen it firsthand. <laughs> I've been there, man. Yeah, I uh, understand. We have an NBA MVP. Is oh, it yes. the correct call? Or is the system flawed? That's next on ESPN 690. Hey, when the red light comes on, we're on. Hey, man, sorry I didn't have the headphones on. Neither did you. Were you so, talking about wrestling? Well, yeah, the, the WrestleCon that they just uh, advertised this Saturday. I wanted to know if you're going to go cover it. No, I'm getting Sports, ready for vacation. Brent. Sports. Rhode Island for vacation, right? Or what are we talking here? Uh, that's the next week. Rhode Island, cruise and then Rhode Island. Oh, cruise and then Rhode Island. Treat Taking yourself. all in one lump sum. Treat yourself, man. Uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is going to be in town this weekend. WrestleCon on Saturday, yes. And Kevin Nash of the Wolfpack. Probably some other guys, too. So, so WrestleCon. Why is everything called Con? Con. Like Comic-Con. Uh, what, what's are the... You, what's, what's are, the are, are you ready for this? I am. Convention. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. That makes sense. Yeah, it's all good, dude. <laughs> But they're all called it. Well, like, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's not your world, though. That's dude. like so in the last five it? years thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, how many cons did they have? Comic-Con? Uh, I mean, honestly, you can go on. I mean, WrestleCon? WrestleCon. Uh, dude, there's... You just went out to one. When you were in Vegas, when you went out for the show, Starcast. for the AEW. Yeah. But there was something going on, you said... At the same time, yeah, was it, it, it was Starcast, so it's basically like a giant wrestling convention as well. So the day before Double or Nothing, there was the wrestling convention. Actually, I'm sorry, two days before Double or Nothing, um, there was a wrestling convention there called Starcast. Okay, I thought there was even another like con going on, like not to do oh, with there, wrestling. Oh no, there's always cons going on. I don't think I don't know if I said it. There might have been like a fishing convention or something oh, really? too as well. Yeah, I mean, there's always conventions, man. There's um, there's some really really weird ones. Yeah. Um. Me personally, I think I've only been to like the comic not books. About weird, just different. Oh yeah, yeah. Just... Want to hear a cool story about Kansas City? Yeah. So <laughs> my first week in Kansas City, they put us up in the in the Holiday Inn. And you know, Kansas City, it's not a bad drive from Wisconsin. So my mom came down um, to hang out a little bit. You know, we had our first preseason game and everything, and uh, they had a, a furry con going on in our hotel. Do you know what a furry con is? I'm assuming that's got to do with cats and dogs? Uh, you're close. Yeah, it's where people dress up in the cats and dogs cost costumes and um, hang out. So mm. there, there, there's like a whole little subsection called furries, and we had that convention going on in our hotel. Imagine my mom... <laughs> Um, you know, the the small town Wisconsin girl that she is, uh, bless her heart. Imagine what she thought when she walked through the hotel and she saw a couple uh, seven foot, you know, uh, huskies walking by uh, 
you know, in, in the middle of broad daylight. Seven foot huskies. Yeah, man, they they, they furries get after it, dude. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know. That is but wild. There you go. So there, there's something for everybody. Into, that Brent. would go into the uh, the bucket of you have way too much time on your yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah, man, to each their own. I mean, you know? <laughs> with all due respect, yeah, to the furries. Yeah, <laughs> best part was too we had to ride an elevator with some of them, man. So, like oh, me and my mom my were gosh. here with like you know there was a I think there was a husky and there I don't know a lot, a lot of huskies in the furry in the, in the furry community. I'm not know, sure if that's a thing or not. You know, it's uh, don't take this this uh, the wrong way, people. Okay, but. You know, everybody's different. What you're different is good, right? Yeah. Different's cool. But you ever wonder how people get, like, so different? Man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, does that ever cross your mind? Like, how does that happen? I have no idea, dude. <laughs> like, I have like, no idea. There's degrees of different. But dress, <laughs> dressing up as cats and dogs. They? Yeah. I mean, I mean, on the on the scale of different, seems pretty yeah, steep. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know me, dude. Like I was raised to be open minded. And actually, going to a convention for it. Yeah. Well, and the best part was like, so we got off the elevator, you know, because like they got off first, and me and my mom got off, and uh, I think I told my mom like, you see, do, do you see where having an open mind gets you? Now we're here. You know, like this is this is how you raised me, and now I'm accepting it. But yeah. hey, to each their own, man. If you want to rock a a furry dog costume or a furry cat costume, man, uh, you ain't bothered me at all. Just do your thing. Well, now, uh, Greek freak, <laughs> yeah. not related, Giannis <laughs> can rock the MVP trophy. Coolest guy, hear that song real quick? Not quick. Uh, just, you know, what? Yes. Just show a little respect. It's the Greek national anthem, man. <laughs> oh, should I get up? Yeah, I mean, I would, but it's not like we're on a. I don't, wanna, wanna, I don't want to like, uh, disrespect anybody. Yeah. All right. Okay, we're good. That's it. Ah, oh, that was for you, Giannis. Oh, one of Milwaukee's greatest exports, man. I appreciate it. Uh, big night for me, Brent, last night. Big night for me. A lot, lot of haters out there. A lot of haters calling out James Harden saying, why didn't he win it? Were there, though? There was. I mean, from what I saw. Did you see the Houston uh, Rockets Twitter handle? I didn't. Because you see it? By the way, that was like the most. Uh, the fact that the NBA awards were even last night, like, so under the radar. I, I mean, where did that come from? <laughs> why? <laughs> what did you, I mean, are we talking about free agency and stuff? Uh, hey, why are you going to have it at 11 p.m. at night, too, by the way? Yeah. Like, I was ready to fall asleep, man. I'm just like, hurry up and announce it. The whole thing is just kind of out there. I, I A bit anticlimactic, even though it was a pretty good race. And you could argue Harden. You could argue Giannis. You could argue probably Kawhi Leonard at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's what it brings in. Like, our I would say I was a little surprised Giannis won. I, I'm not Were saying not deserving. Cry? No, no, no. Oh. I, I thought Harden was going to win. This is a regular season well, award. Yeah. So I, I thought Harden was going to win it, I, I, even though I, I would have voted for Giannis. Sure. But I, I just didn't think he was going to win it. Here's the Houston Rockets Twitter last night after Giannis won. Uh, congrats to the new MVP, but we respectfully disagree. James Harden finished top two in MVP voting four out of the five last seasons. He's the first player in NBA history to average at least 35 points a game, seven assists a game in a single season, scored 40-plus points 28 times this season, 50-plus nine times, and 60-plus twice, 32 consecutive games scoring at least 30 points, second longest in league history. And it goes on and on. It's it's like a four-chain uh, Twitter thing here. It goes on and well, on. Well, they I mean, should go to bat for their guy. Well, yeah, but, I mean, are, are, we, are we a little bitter, though? A little bit? Like, at the end of the day, Giannis led the team that had the best record in the NBA. And if you just want to make it uh, based on regular season um, stats, 
Well, then you have to look at Giannis because they have the best record. Okay, so obviously the debate is there in the regular season. I don't really think. Is, are we missing anybody in the regular season? Maybe Paul George. He was the other one that was talked about. The but Giannis and Harden between those two were just so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and by the way, once again, the best player in the game isn't even mentioned, and that's not LeBron this time around because he didn't play enough games. But everybody will hands down say the best player in the game last year is Kevin Durant. Yeah, <laughs> and Durant doesn't even get mentioned in the MVP. It's yeah. a weird award well, at times and, and because of that. Let me ask you this: Like, do you find it weird that they wait till after the finals to do all like the, these awards things? Because like with the NFL, with the NFL honors, they do it before the Super Bowl. They do it right that weekend. Yeah, of. they yeah. make it a big deal yeah. a week of. Uh, I, I I don't know the timing of it. I think the bigger issue or the bigger story. It, it's tough for the NBA because their season ends kind of in the the lull of summer, mm-hmm. you know. So once it's over, now the big story in the NBA, it's already they've all, they've um trumped themselves on the big story. People are talking about free agency. People want to know about the daily soap opera of the NBA, where are these guys going? They really don't care right now about the awards. I think yeah. I think it's almost too much. So I think they would be Better off trying to fit it in. I mean, they drag these playoffs out so much that why couldn't you somewhere in the middle of the postseason do do this award show? But then uh, I guess the issue is where if there's a team that's still in the playoffs has the MVP candidate and then he wins it, then they can't. But well, then like you said, it's such a long playoff that if Mm -hmm. it's just regular season based, do it immediately following. Hold off the players for a day, the the playoffs for a day. Build excitement for the playoffs by talking about the MVP. Now, does that add a little bit of pressure to the MVP and the award guys? Well, I don't think so. Listen, Mm -hmm. they do the Heisman Trophy, and the Heisman Trophy guy sometimes ends up in the Final Four. That's weeks later. So I would say if that award is based solely on the regular season, which it is. Then have your day after the regular season. Because, I mean, it's the regular season award. Yeah, and I wouldn't even worry about, like, you know, that situation. I mean, last year the coach of the year was already fired from his team when he was accepting the award. So (laughs) it's like. Well, and you you, obviously don't have to have that situation. Right, that's what I mean. And so then it's like, you know, but I also wonder if it would have helped Harden at all having that award show before everyone could essentially forget about the regular season. Well, I think you're right. I think I think it could have, although it's not like Giannis. Well, by the way, no, but I, I, you mean in the public perception? In the public perception, because, I mean, a lot of people were giving Harden a hard time for losing to the Warriors and having some games where he didn't come through, though you could have the same argument for Giannis, Giannis. I mean, when, against the Raptors. So, But there's but, been more of that built up on Harden, right? right? And, so, now, and now the point. Rockets now are going through the, the turmoil with Chris Paul yeah. and all that. So it's like there's not a good vibe around the Rockets right now. So I wonder... And, I mean, the voting already had to go in a while back. But that's the other thing. It's like, why why did we wait so long to see the results? Well, and, the, again, the problem here is for this award and, and is the, the postseason is forever. I mean, it seriously is forever. And like, we, know that we joke one. about it, but it's forever. And and so the regular season feels like it was 10 years ago. Yeah. So to, to have this award, so that's the flaw. Is there a flaw anyway in the voting to not uh, include the postseason? And well, I always think it's sketchy to include the postseason yeah. because you don't know who's going to be in it, and you don't know how well, long that team will last. Like obviously Giannis, like, who wins the? Do you totally change the award if you do it with the postseason? Kawhi Leonard wins the MVP, no, right? Without, a, I think Nick Nurse wins Coach of the Year as well. You would I mean, think, right? I mean, if we're talking regular season, though, getting back to the Harden topic, I mean, listen, they finished fourth in the West. Okay, the Milwaukee Bucks had the best record in the NBA. That's a good point. And, 
that has to go into account. It just has to. Not to say, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the West is a little more competitive than the East was, but you, you can't deny those facts. I mean, if, if Harden was really the best player of that season, then why didn't the Rockets finish first in the West? I'd also argue there was a point where the Rockets were dead last and Harden then put the team put on his back yeah. and got them there. Yeah, that's the part that's on Harden's side. And, and where I thought would help him is there was a story to it. Like, they were horrible. They couldn't get a win. They were almost dead last in the West. And then Harden puts it on his back and takes it where Giannis, where it's to be said, was number one the whole way through. There's no, like... Drama yeah. or storyline to but, it. But to be fair though, yeah, it wasn't like Giannis was playing with a bunch of household names though either. On his team? On his team. I don't know. I Chris think... Middleton? I mean, how many people knew who Chris Middleton was before the All Star game this year? If you're into basketball, not the average fan, but I, I think well, he's I, good. He's I, a star. I think you guys both win on that one. They're both playing with guys that few people. It's kind of mm-hmm. like Kawhi Leonard. I mean, yeah, Kawhi exactly. Leonard's doing the same thing. And don't yep. forget, Harden went through the Carmelo situation where, like, he was going to be that guy, and then it didn't really work out, and then, you know, he slowly went away. Yeah, I, so so what's the answer, really, though? Do you include postseason right. and do it now, or do you just do it after the regular season? Take what the heck is one more day in the in the marathon that is the postseason of the NBA? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I do think what would be interesting, forget about the fan, the public per- perception, does it fuel the guy? Right, like if, yeah. if if Harden doesn't get the MVP award, which he didn't, mm-hmm. does it then kind of fuel him in the postseason to put on a show? And then it beca- actually gives the NBA another talking point, yeah. right? Another storyline. Not that they, I feel like they need anymore, but they've got another one uh, if they do that and they can play the, you know, especially what if the two guys going at it end up in the finals or the Eastern Conference Finals or Western Conference Finals? You have another storyline there yeah. to build up, which I never think is bad uh, for sports when you're talking about the stars. Well, and I think one more question too, Kuz, and um, one of your opinion on it with the MVP award. I mean, do you count it for for defense as well, or is that what for defensive player of the year is for? I mean, when you look at right. the, the most valuable player, do you got to put defense involved with her too? Now you I, only count defense when you have to <laughs> if you have to somehow defend Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time because he won defensive player of the year. That's the only thing. No, I but think nobody well, else I mean, cares. Kawhi, ever, well, Kawhi, ever. I'm telling you, man, Kawhi was well, a good. I did, yeah, but but, I, but only if you can throw it in your hat of defense for yeah. somebody. Kawhi Leonard, Michael yeah. Jordan. Then yeah. the, the only time you'll ever pull that out is go look up the defensive ben player Wallace. of the year stat. <laughs> See, I like to I like to look at MVP. And like it depends on how you val- like define value, right? Like I look at it as if Harden's not on the Rockets, where are they? If Giannis okay. isn't on the Bucks, where are they? And, and kind of go from there, and that's where I kind of try to approach it. Listen, from. both were both that, that have earned it would have been deserving right. of it. I mean, they put up crazy numbers, yeah. and there were and there were probably other guys that are left out of the conversation because I think what gets built is the narrative throughout yeah. the year. It was Giannis and Harden the whole year, and like I just said, wait a minute, don't you guys all tell me the best player is Kevin Durant? No, Kevin Durant, so Paul he's not George, even in the conversation. But TJ I McConnell, gets, I mean, just uh, household names. He, he gets <laughs> he gets you know hurt. Where, because did T.J. McConnell fit, end up in the voting? He would not. I don't think he got a vote. <laughs> not applicable. Yeah, no, but I not think available. Kevin Durant kind of gets hurt. the award, too. <laughs> <laughs> but Kevin Durant gets hurt from his teammates, right? Like Curry, yeah, Thompson. But... You can't. The, the idea, again, you take him off the team. I, I still think they're probably winning a ton of games. Uh, they are, but still, I mean, obviously they didn't win the whole thing.
Right, but that's including the playoffs in that debate. <laughs> so there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's so subjective at the end of the day, which it usually is. Even though we have numbers, yep. it can still be very subjective uh, who gets uh, the NBA MVP. I would just say let's do it after the regular season. If it's going to be a regular season award, let's do it after the regular season. Have your award show. Get ready for the – just create this buzz around the postseason. We're ready to launch the postseason. Mm-hmm. Let's do it that way. Because the other thing is I always wonder in the conspiracy theory of it all is since they voted on that and they had the votes tallied three months ago did somebody go into the tally machine and change it it's <laughs> a good point <laughs> i mean, I mean well, who knew these, who knew three months ago who the mvp was well, let me ask you this Coos. or did they just like tally the votes well no because harden they, harden wasn't there last night right there was reports saying that he wasn't at the the ceremony which would mean that he somehow found out he didn't so get he mvp knew. He uh, knew. i bet the guys usually know oh, okay you know what okay. i mean Okay. I, I don't think it's full surprise, but maybe, gotta, maybe not. Yeah, I don't think Giannis is just making that whole speech up. You know what I mean? Like, he was emotional, obvious, but I think he kind of well, has an idea. he's not dumb. He knows that right. he's in the conversation, so you got to be prepared. Yeah. But my point is to get those guys there. Like, if what are the awards that they give out? Did they give out, like, the best play? Rookie of the Rookie year, of the year, which was Luka. Okay, well, you have... That one was more interesting to me than, than well, the, the MVP. Okay, so they told three or four guys, hey, come here. You guys yeah. are nominated for it. You're up for it. You might be it. So, I mean, they do that. That's how they get people to these award shows. But but, but it's still a big spectacle. You know, there's, like, there's like a comedian that... Well, I forgot who was even the host of it. Shaq this past was, right? Year. Yeah, Shaq was. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Shaq was telling jokes Shaq? and everything. I know. Uh, but I mean, like I, I said, hey, it started like at 11 o'clock, so I was pretty tired. I just saw the opening of it. It was pretty good. He kind yeah. of busted on his own free throw, Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. which was good. So, yep. uh, All right. Hey, when we come back, if a team was going to split half their games in another city, could you be a fan of that team? Let's talk about it. Get your opinion. And I got to take something to the whiteboard. It's really important. Oh, I forgot about the whiteboard. <laughs> Happened at dinner. And in the commercial break, I'll share it. Can't Coming wait. up next on ESPN 690. All right, it's a very oh. important question. This is a big important question. I was question. at Mr. Chubby's last night. Yep. I was craving Mr. Chubby's. Ever been? Can't say that I have. The wings are really good. Okay. Out in Fleming Island and it's on the a, west side. I was wondering where Free you're going commercial. with that. It's a wing spot. <laughs> I didn't know what Mr. Chubby's actually was. Yes. Okay. It's good wings. And uh, I actually was there Saturday. Yeah. And again last night. Okay. So, um... That was a free endorsement. But yes, it was. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. we're my kids love the flats. Mm-hmm. Steph loves the flats. But I am convinced that I feel like when I used to go to chicken wing places, yep. like as a kid or whatever, growing up, or I don't know, maybe I was in college. Yeah, we'd go to wherever in college. I feel like it would cost you extra money to get the drums. Yeah, like I felt like the right. drums were the thing. Yeah, they were. Well, well, now because they're bigger. But I feel like we've had a flip flop in society. Okay, it now will cost you. It can cost you an extra dollar or something like that. Sure. To get all flats. Yeah. And more people I ask say they like the flats. Man. But I always thought drums were the ones. I always thought, well, you have. That's hard to get all drums. You want more drums, you know? Yeah. So I got me thinking last night. I mean. Where are we in society when yeah. it comes to chicken wings? You know what? Ah, uh, man, I feel like we're about to cross some lines right now. Really about to get into this. Here. Only professionals eat flats. Only professionals eat flats. You can eat them faster and it's cleaner. But see, I'm a I'm a one wing. It's cleaner to eat. How is it easy cleaner see, to eat flats? I, I, I mean, when he's done the research, he's pretty confident. You break it and then you can get it on no, both, no, and no. you're good to go. See, like when I eat my wings, Brent, you probably haven't noticed before, but when I eat my wings, I use one hand only. 
So for me personally, it's easier to use one hand with the drums than it is with the flats. You know, I think I'm like you. I'm, I'm a yeah. one-handed yeah, winger. Yeah, absolutely, right? I'm a one-handed yeah. winger. Yeah, you, you can have your cell phone, you have your drink, whatever, another hand. No, Kuz? No, man, because that's... No, man, go. <laughs> there's too much, there's too much, like, spare meat left on the, I mean, the drum. if it's me personally, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of both. Yeah, I'm going to um, do both, too. If, if I have the choice of which one to grill, if I'm, like, you know, hosting a party and it's either flats or, or drums, I'm probably going with the drums because I think they're easier to cook. With the flats, there's a lot more bones, so it takes a little um, more uh, grill mastery mm-hmm. uh, to get those wings right. So I'm, I'm more of a drums. grill wings. Okay. Do you grill at all? Oh, no, I like real a lot. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, but Thanks. usually steak, chicken, okay. pork chops, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, if Brats. I had my way, I, I would smoke wings, but I was, burgers. Uh, I was down at the Daytona 500 in college once, and we brought a grill, and I set the entire thing on fire, so now I'm too scared to grill. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> to be fair, to be Color fair, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. They, it was alcohol's they fault. Hadn't, no, they hadn't cleaned the uh, the grill out in like a year, so there was just like all this grease. Sure. So when I started it, it just... Oh, it was bad. Typical sure. of today's society. No accountability. No man. accountability. No one wants to own up. It's hey, not somebody's I, at least fault. I was the one that said, hey, don't throw water on this like they were trying to do. I went and grabbed some sand and put on it, and we were good to go. I probably like, threw water on it like so an idiot. F- for real, though, this is not just like a silly late June radio topic yeah. of flats or wings. Like, I really want to know. Whoa, I'm genuine. I've got plenty of topics, so I'm, I'm real, like, I don't need What's this right now. With these flats and drums? Yeah. <laughs> but I really, like, was curious last night because I'm, I'm convinced of it. That if you asked this question 20 years ago, 15 years ago, more people would have said drums. And now I'm convinced that more people say flats. Man, so I'm, yeah. I'm, and, and I eat a lot of wings. Like so Our family likes wings, so we, yeah. we'll go wing eating all the time. And, yeah. and I, I just find, I can't believe, every time my kids say it, yeah. I'm like, what do you mean flats? Like, why do you want flats? But the late the, the waitress said yesterday, I said, do more. I asked her. Yeah. I said, do more people get wings or flats? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, flats or drums? And she said... I think more people now get, not now, but more people get flats, said because there's more meat on the flats. See, I would think there's more meat on the drums. See, there's some kind of deeper thing going on here, Brent, I feel like. What's going on with these chickens? What, what's happening with these chickens? Because when I was a kid, you know, it was all about the drums, man. The drums had the most meat. And now it's changing? Yeah. That's well, what I'm what talking isn't about. the government telling us? Hey, you know what? I see I see a Netflix documentary uh, in our future. We're going to send brand. Ben on Action News yes. Jacks to this. Uh, I see a Netflix documentary. But <laughs> to be fair, though, I'm good either way. I mean, it, chicken wings are chicken wings to me. But I, I, same, I, will, I'll eat I will opt out of the drumsticks if... If the container that holds the blue cheese guy, I'm a blue cheese guy. I am too. If, there we if go. If you're a ranch guy, go. if you're a ranch guy, go eat some chicken fingers. That's all right, right. Grow up a little bit. Yeah. So you go the boneless route. Yeah, exactly. Which are just nuggets. So if we do go with the with the flats and drumsticks, as long as the container's big enough to dip um, the wings in. Yeah. If, if it's smaller, it's then, tough. Then I'll probably go with the flats because the threats the flats traditionally are a little skinnier to dip that uh for that blue cheese. That's a very good call. Yes, it That's is. That's a professional those wing old, eater. Those are the only kind of calls. I make how many you know we we had four oh, of us God. at the table yesterday we ordered 60 wings yesterday you want to hear a cool story real quick so when i was 16 years old and i got my driver's license i did what any kid would do when he got his driver's license in central wisconsin we went to hooters because like that was the place to be so we drove 30 minutes to appleton went to hooters and obviously the waitress sat down was talking to us and she was uh you know we we're into paintball at the time so she's like you know what's paintball which I shouldn't have to explain that to you, but you know, I, I was probably knew yeah. a newer. But but you know, my uh, my corrupt and warped mind was thinking, well, if she's asking me these questions, she must be into <laughs> me. 
So how how am I going to get those digits, Brent? I'm going to order a plate of 50 wings with my best friend, and we're both going to eat 25 apiece, and we're going to impress this girl. Not thinking about money, not thinking about how we're going to feel. It's like if she if she sees us eat 50 wings, she's going to be impressed and want to go out with us. Cool. So we order 50 wings. My friend Andrew ate. I kid you not. He ate eight wings. He's like, dude, I'm kind of full. I had to eat. I tried to eat. So he he ate eight wings. 42 wings are on my plate. I'm like, I got to do this because somehow I told my... Breaded naked. Because, uh, breaded, man. Breaded for days. Like twice deep fried. And I told myself if I could just eat all these wings, she'd be so impressed with me because I'm such a big kid that she would ask me out on a date. Hey, got to 32, felt really sick, went in the parking lot, threw up, and uh, that was then that story. Wow. And hey, spent about... 55 bucks for the wings as well. Unbelievable. So, yeah, man. I've got a, yeah. In high school. Yeah, that's silly stuff. Speaking of the, the one Hooter story from high school, I wasn't there. Okay. But I just got around school in a hurry. Yeah. There was a kid, they dared to drink the um, hot sauce. Oh. Rush to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say drink the hot sauce, how like, much did he drink? Yeah, like the, oh, like like you know oh, a decent size. Oh yeah, oh. like the container. Oh, um, you oh know, like no, I, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I don't know which kind. You know, they have five million hot sauces. Well, that's another thing. It's a lot of sodium coming down. There's your a lot of food yeah. talk right now. But do we really need five thousand different kinds of hot sauces? Variety is spice of life, man. Like, can you tell the difference of a hot sauce, whether it's like? Pizza or oh, whatever, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean. I the mean, brand, can you tell oh, the difference? Oh, for sure, man. Like Cholula is my jam. Um, Tabasco, uh, absolutely not. I think Tabasco is the most overrated hot sauce of all time. Isn't there like a pizza hot sauce too? There's or something p- like that. Pizza's good, and that was a cool thing playing for the Jaguars. Let's bring it all back here. Uh, playing for the Jaguars, we had, and I don't know if this was like a con thing or what it was, but we had a variety in that lunchroom. I'm sure you've seen it, Brent. You mean K H A N, not C O N? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> not a convention. No, 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 no. Uh, Mr. Khan, um, we had like seven or eight different hot sauces, man, at our disposal at all times. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it was to like, me. A, I mean, we had like a habanero one, we had like a like a, a jerk one, like a Jamaican jerk. Uh, Mr. Khan kept that lunchroom stacked with hot well, sauces. Well, and to so completely to go full circle on the whole conversation, yes. as Kush uh, shoves salad in his mouth right now. What else is new? Um, that's on the plane. Hooters yeah. wings is a rookie thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Or, or wings from anywhere, probably. But I, I just feel like I've seen Hooters wings a lot. Well, Hooters wings is possible. Well, used, actually, it, it might not be. anymore because of the landing. I think they we used to go over to the landing and get it. Um, I had to do P.F. Chang's one time. Okay. Uh, for for an away game. Uh, but yeah, usually it's Hooters. Um, and they I don't know if they still do it, but when we played, they had Chick Fil A. Uh, yeah, on for the plane. anybody. Yeah. They do we have that? Yeah, I think we still have. Yeah, that. good yeah. stuff. Which. I don't know. I've never really got the whole thing where you can just gorge yourself before you play a football game. Like, you know, you think like Saturday is the day you want to like hydrate and eat some healthy carbs and some healthy fats because you're about to expend a lot of energy on Sunday. But no, let's just go all in with like three chicken sandwiches and Chick-fil-A. Let's get some Hooters wings and let's wash it down with some some orange chicken from P.F. Chang's. If you say so, man, whatever you say. But uh, yeah, that was always kind of baffling to me. All right. uh, Rookie meals. Uh, Hey, when we come back, uh, the, the question that I did ask before I got on wings, but completely honest, flats and drums are a big deal to me right now. I can't wait to check out social media and My see My mouth is watering, by the way. Uh, but would you still support your team if they played half their game somewhere else? Simple as that. Not talking about Jaguars, but 
hypothetically, what if it did happen? Like, it's going to happen with the Rays, mm-hmm. it appears, in the next 10 years uh, or worse for the Rays. But would you support your team? Uh, that next on ESPN 690. The number is star star 690. Whiteboard, blue cheese, love. Blue cheese or uh, GTFO, figure it out. Yeah, my um, my best friend, and he, lo- like, I think blue cheese is one of those things. Like, I didn't like it as a kid. Oh, it, it's an acquired taste. It, it definitely is. Now I love it. I mean, it's, I actually, it's the yesterday only Yesterday I had carrots and blue cheese. It's I just had only, a, yeah, a container of blue cheese. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I didn't really want to ask what was going on over there with you and that blue cheese, but I'm like. Well, because if you're, if you're okay, uh, if you're trying to not do the carbs, Okay. Blue cheese is a good thing to have. Healthy fats. Yeah. Yeah. So blue cheese is in the in the list of no carbs. Fair enough. And so are carrots. I didn't know if you're looking for like a healthy snack though, because it's like broccoli and cheese. Like, yeah, the broccoli is good. Not sure if yeah, you drizzle it in cheese how much it's good for you. But. I'm kind of in the debate right now. It's like, is it no carbs or am I counting calories? Which one? So if you're counting calories, blue cheese probably not so great. But if you're going no carbs, yeah, it's uh, it's probably not good to be in the middle of that either. Carbs are the enemy. <laughs> As they say. All right. Uh, hey, here's the deal. How much would your team be the enemy? Yeah. If they moved half their games away. Obviously, the Rays are a big story. You know the story by now. Montreal, Tampa. The owner doubled down on it today. Said, listen, we have to do something. 81 games is not going to work. So the question is, and it's been hypothetical here in Jacksonville, quite honestly. Let's admit it. People have said it. People, some I think there are people in Jacksonville, and I think there are people outside of Jacksonville that absolutely believe that mm-hmm. it could happen. Four home games in London someday, four home games in Jacksonville. That means you are a split organization. You have a split uh, franchise and sister cities, London, Jacksonville. Again, I do not, let's preface this with, I do not believe that's happening. Do I think someday the business model could get to two games in London? If I'm being completely honest, yeah, I think it could. I really do. But you think it would be a home game and away game, right? Well, no, I'm I'm saying I I think the max would be a two home game thing. Now, it could be a preseason game. And, uh, you know, I I don't know. I'm just, if you're you're asking me what's the worst case scenario Mm -hmm. from that standpoint, I don't think it's four and four. I just don't see. I'm not. I've been on this London thing for a long time now. and, And I've been a believer in London in a lot of different ways. But I've never been a believer, one, that the Jags were moving. Two, that they were going to split their games up. But I also don't believe that you can deny the fact that they make 15% of their local revenue from the one game in London. And so if you do that for one game, would the smart business model be to maybe do another one? Two games. Uh, you know, I, I could – I'm saying worst-case scenario, I think that could potentially be a case sometime down the road. Uh, so, But either way, I don't think it's split. Bottom line is, if that happened, would you not be a Jags fan anymore? Would you not mm-hmm. go to games anymore? Or would you say, well, at least we do have a team and it's still our team in Jacksonville and go to games and support the team? Uh, I want to use the Rays as, as an example here because that's, you know, who kind of who we're touching on. So just to make it clear quick, the, the owner did say that in the next 10 years, they're out of Tampa. I mean, that's in kind some of capacity. a foregone conclusion. He basically said, I'm not selling the team. I want to be the owner. And he also said, we cannot play 81 games in the Tampa area. Not yeah. in this stadium. In the Tampa area, See, it doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, and if I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan, that's kind of a big a big middle, middle finger to me. Now, granted, how many people really take offense to that? Well, they haven't really felt a lot of a lot of games this year, so I'm sure it's a small minority of Tampa Bay folks that are actually offended by what the owner said. But to me, it would be like dating a girl 
but she's also the side piece of somebody else. Like you're you're gonna split half your time with Tampa and half your time in, in Montreal. I don't I don't get to see you on the weekends. I don't get to see you during the holidays. It's kind of messed up, man. And uh, sounds like not the, a relationship. Sounds like for the me. secret to a long relationship. <laughs> Good old Montreal. Um, so for me. I just, and the, you have to ask the question, but you really do, of just how would the playoffs work then? Who who gets the playoffs? And you have well, to ask just, the question. For the sake of this argument, let's just say that the, in your original town, yeah. the play, if you have one playoff game, that's where it would go. Okay, and let's ask you this question too. So they play half the games in Tampa, and then they go to Montreal. Well, I want to see the games towards the end of the season. The Tampa Bay Rays are in the playoff chase right now. I want to watch it come down to the wire. That's the most exciting time of baseball. Don't give me the first half, uh, you know, where it's just the dog days of summer and everything's mundane. I want the second half. So it's just, there's way too many things, man. If it was me, I'd probably say, what's up, Atlanta Braves? Because I'm not going to be cheering for the for the Marlins, probably, because they're not doing so well. And I'd say, let's go Rays. And that's what we're trying I'm to get to. to. Let's, go, let's Braves. go Braves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, which you might already say that. But that, yeah. that's good. That's a good idea. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Would you really do it? And you got to put yourself there, people. It's very hard. I get it. Your yeah. first reaction is, are you kidding me? But the fact is, you'd still have, you, you grew up on, say, for instance, the Jags. Mm-hmm. You like going to games. By the way, it's now cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> you only have to go to four games. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, I think it's more of a struggle than your initial thought would be. For most people. Uh, let's stay on it for one more thought. The plus ball and fall coming up on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Brett Martin of Austin Land Coos is here. And we are talking about your favorite team. And that could be anything. What if they moved for half the home games? It'd be sad. Sad day, right? Rays are feeling it right now. There are there are Rays fans. I mean, heck, my kid's a Rays fan. Now, he doesn't go to the game, so I don't really think... The, the Rays could be, like, in China, and he probably wouldn't care that much as long as he could see them. I mean, maybe he would care. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, like, we don't go to the Trop every year to watch the Rays. Sure. So... It's it's I don't well, it's not that kind of fandom. He's not he's gonna live in Tampa, so you really have to equate it to what you go. I mean, obviously the Jags are the easiest equation. I, I'm not I'm using them as an example because mm-hmm. why it's been floated before. And but you can say this about the Packers. If someday the 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 shareholders in in the Packers decide to sell off <laughs> hey, and hey, something goes first wrong, of all, that's all Central Wisconsin has. <laughs> so prepare for a full on riot on your hands yeah, if that ever happens. I mean, but I think you could. It's funny how you do this with a lot of the Florida teams, right? Miami, mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's the Florida Panthers. Yeah. You know, maybe is well, it the I, Orlando I, Magic? I wouldn't be shocked if it was the Florida Panthers. If you like the Orlando Magic, what if they went somewhere else for twenty something home games? Well, let me ask you this question then. So, say this fall, this goes goes through. Tampa Bay plays half their games in Montreal. Let's look at it from Montreal's perspective, real quick. If you're Montreal. You're excited to have a baseball team again. I assume you get a new stadium, so there's a lot of hype around that. Um, you know, Canada's starting to turn into a pretty big sports city, or, I mean, a country now with the Toronto Raptors and whatnot, and it's more than hockey. And what happens if they start selling out games? What, what happens if the Tampa Bay Rays start seeing, wow, we're doing a lot better in Montreal than we are in Tampa Bay. Maybe we should just move the whole team there full time. That could happen as well. It could happen. And, and you just have to, I guess it all depends on the ownership. And what they think, uh, and, and how they want to treat it. You know, for instance, the one game in London here for Jacksonville has not been 
we want to eventually move the day the team to London. The one game in London has been we think it's a nice complement to what's going on in Jacksonville mm-hmm. from a financial standpoint, growing the fan base, making us bigger than just the Jacksonville Northeast Florida area. And so there's a lot of different components into it. Is that the plan for Tampa and this owner? Or is it to eventually take them out of there for good and just make money? Uh, now, the way he sold it is this would be great for tourism for Tampa because Montreal fans would now like to come down here in the spring in the early years, uh, early months of the year yeah. and see their team. And so you could get some travel. It would become that sister city. You know what? That sounds, you roll your eyes at that stuff. Everybody would because he's trying to sell it. I get it. Yeah. But I do think there would be a facet of that. You know, pe- people have rolled their eyes about the Jags playing the game in London, this relationship with London. But there's no doubt there have been some jobs and business ties that have happened between London and Jacksonville. I don't know if there's been enough of that. I think there by now there might have been more. And I still have hope that if if there's a London company that would someday want to have like American headquarters and aren't they don't don't already have it. Yeah. Well, Jacksonville might be a place and then that creates jobs. Well, that, that helped foster that relationship potentially. So. I think um, there's a lot of ifs, ands, and trust that has to go on with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line at the end of the day is this owner in Tampa said it's going to happen. Well, and, and, yeah. and again, so it's would you support it or would you say see you later and I'll support the Braves? Exactly, because to me it's pointless. Like, And even from the owner perspective, once again, Brent, we're not billionaires. At least I'm not. I mean, I know you work really hard. Maybe you are. On, not under, yet. Okay, not yet. Not yet. Will be, though. Hashtag <laughs> billionaire Brent. Do I have to get to a million first? That's usually how it works. Oh, okay. I mean, unless you just want to bypass a million and get a billion right well, away. More power to you, dude. Ball is doing. <laughs> for sure, for <laughs> sure. So if you're the owner, though, Brent, and it's like I talked about, if you see that the ticket sales are better in Montreal than they are in Tampa, wouldn't it be a good business move just to move the team directly to Montreal? Like, I, I don't honestly see that you can sustain to have um, a team divided by two cities. You know, I, I just don't see it sustaining because one city – is going to obviously, and especially if you have Montreal in, at the point where when it starts to be the playoff time, starts to be the end of the season, there's going to be a lot more hype than as opposed to the beginning of the season. So you'd think tickets would sell more there as well. So then all of a sudden you got two cities fighting for, well, who gets the playoffs? You have two cities fighting for, well, what you know, what half do we get? Because everyone's going to be fighting for the second half of the baseball season. It's just, uh, it's just way too much. Like, if you want to move the team, if things aren't doing good, then go to Montreal. But just be there the whole time. Like, don't go back and forth. We've been playing sports in, in this country for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, more than a century uh, in a lot of these sports. I mean, not every sport, I get it. But I, I don't want to say it's a – is it the next wave of – sports ownership or or sports culture to take struggling franchises and maybe put them elsewhere and you know limit the amount of games therefore you spread out the people that want to go you know it's like anything else things that happen a lot less people go to things that happen once a year or two times a year but are big hits yeah well they're big hits and they draw big crowds so but, but the, to be fair though brent people love going to see a winner as well and the tampa well, bays have they have been winners well that's the problem see that yeah. it'd be one thing if this guy came out here and said well you know nobody's going and when we're losing well he's got the for him right now to say we can't make it work, and we won 90 games last year, mm-hmm. and we're in second place in a very competitive division a this very year. Very competitive. So he's got at least the backbone of that to say it right now. Uh, but 
I just want, I do wonder. It make my mind wanders a lot in in this to 25 years down the road. What does our sports culture look like? I mean, we just did the story last week of high school sports. It, it, and when I raise the question, your everybody's immediate answer is, heck, of course there's going to be high school sports 25 years from now. Well, think about it a little bit more. You start saying, well, okay, maybe. I mean, probably not across the board, but yeah. we already now we are experiencing some districts across this country without high school sports. Exactly, and you have to think outside your bubble. Like, if you're in Jacksonville, if you're in the inner city of Jacksonville, of course, yeah, you, you, there's going to be high school sports the whole time, because those schools are so big. But go to the small towns in Wisconsin. Go to the small towns in Montana, Iowa, those small towns, and see what happens. Yeah. You, know and I mean? so, you have to think the whole big picture. And, and that's where we go here, right? We yeah. say Chicago, Boston, L.A. Well, L.A.'s not even a great example, because L.A.'s had trouble. Yeah. I mean, L.A. could actually be a supplement city. Mm-hmm. They have proven that they can't maintain sometimes. So, I mean, was was there the idea that San Diego and L.A. could split? Because that's a great example of it. Mm-hmm. Could L.A. have four games and San Diego have four games? Could we see that arrangement someday? And that way that takes the emotion out of Jacksonville and the London idea or Tampa, if you're a Rays fan, takes it out of Florida. But I think that's a fair, uh, at least, example of it. Mm-hmm. Two hours away, San Diego's had the Chargers for a long time. They would love to keep him there, but couldn't because of the stadium. Now, again, the stadium becomes a big issue because that's why they couldn't keep him there. They couldn't pass the stadium to get a new one. Yep. But maybe you build a smaller one. It's not as expensive. And then you've got the stadium in in uh, L.A. for the Chargers, and you're playing four and four. Now, if I said that was going to happen to you, I said in 10 years, Austin Lane, mm-hmm. four games will be played in L.A. and four games will play in San Diego. Would that blow your mind? Would you... Say, eh, feasible. That's funny because, like, in the California aspect, it doesn't seem that far fetched, especially from a money stand. Because at the end of the day, Brent, what is NFL all about? At the end of the day, it's money. Yeah. What do you think Jacksonville's playing over in UK every single year? Money. So well, why do you think more and more teams are playing over oh, yeah. there? Oh money, money, exaggeration, exactly. all those yeah. things. So when you have, I mean, you have a major city like LA. You know, I mean, everyone knows LA, and then you have. I don't want to say it's a supplemented city, but, you know, it's not necessarily the biggest NFL city um, in the country. And you have that. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, if we see that. Let me take any emotion out of it, okay, for yeah. me. Just for me. And and, uh, and and as we're talking about it and saying that, and it just came up uh, from the L.A. thing. But if L.A. played four games, the Rams played four games in L.A. Mm-hmm. and four games in St. Louis. And the Chargers played four games in San Diego and four games in L.A. I would actually, because I could care less about any of those teams, like it just doesn't matter to me, I would actually be like, eh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's interesting. But at the same time, Brent, like you would assume that the L.A. is going to have more ticket sales than the San Diego would. Well, then what you'd but, say is, like, why don't you play eight games in L.A.? Why don't you just put one team in L.A.? That's, that's what, what you'd say. That's, that's what, what I would say, yeah. But just as that example exists, mm-hmm. and and... Maybe take it to be any sport. Maybe it was a basketball team, you know, that wasn't doing well, or a baseball team doing well. Could San Diego's baseball team, if they're not drawing well, do 50 games, so for or whatever it would be, uh, 40 games somewhere and 40 games somewhere? Yeah. I I just don't. Uh, again, if you take the emotional attachment out. Yeah. I don't think it's like that awful of a thing to see, it, or or I wouldn't say with no way in heck it would ever happen. I, I think I could look up in 15, 20 years and say, well, the sports landscape certainly has changed. Yeah. But I could see it happening. 
Yeah. Um, at the same time, too, like though, it or not. I could see, but uh, I could also see new cities getting teams as well. Because, I mean, if, if you're a businessman and you kind of already know the market between an L.A. or San Diego, you split the teams there. Well, if the research says that and the analytics say that, well, if we move our team here to like, I don't know, like Portland or something like that, you know, there, there, there'd be a, a large demand for a team in Portland. Well, then I would take that demand over what I already know with LA and San Diego. Yeah, with, probably. with the logistics. But the you thing know? is, so, can anybody nail the demand thing anymore? Because, uh, then I would just go back and say, well, why did a team come to Tampa? Yeah. Why did they even get a franchise? You're and by right. the way, Montreal, you've already had yours and it moved. Yeah. Like, so why should we give you another one? Mm-hmm. So you know, at least full time. LA, you could stake the same. Is St. Louis going to ever get a football team again? I mean, I'd be more apt to give, to your point, I'd be more apt to give San Antonio a try than I would a city that's failed. Yeah, exactly. Because it's something new, it's something fresh, something exciting. Now, like you mentioned with Tampa Bay, though, sometimes it doesn't work out. I do think football and baseball are a little different, though, as well. Baseball is a long, drawn-out well, season. Brent, and there's that's a lot a really of games there. Uh, the NFL, I mean, you only get eight games a, se- eight games a year. Yeah. You know, so uh, you, you mark the calendar on those games. And that's a, that's a really good point. Because you're asking to fill up a stadium in Tampa with 35,000 people yeah. 81 times. So that and it's a long season, and uh, and and also I feel I guess I would feel differently if I only get to see four home games in the football world in Jacksonville. Yeah, but I could still see forty in Tampa. Exactly. But I'd still feel like I'm going to a lot of games. Of course. Yep. And there'd almost be like something that I was like, wow, my ticket prices just went way down. My cost for the year just went way down. True. Don't lose sight of that. If you're paying for season tickets, you're about to pay half. Yeah. That would feel better in the pocket. It would be. But remember, it's only eight games, though. It's not a lot. I think we agree, though, at the same time. And I understand it if you're listening out there and get it. And I get the emotion part of it. And there is something about, that's your team, man. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. You gave the it, you gave the girlfriend an example. Zero side pieces. Sports teams <laughs> should not be side pieces. Write that down. Hey, speaking of L.A., what's it like to play in that 30,000-seat stub hub soccer stadium? We're going to Charger Land next on ESPN 690. Swings the end zone, caught, touchdown Antonio Gates. Oh, Antonio Gates, one of the greatest ever, of course, for the Chargers, San Diego, now to L.A. Hey, one quick uh, comment about what we were just talking about before we get to the Chargers and Eric Williams uh, as we go out west and continue the uh, way too early look at the Jaguars' schedule here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Jack Stan, he got, he scolded me. He said, whoa, do not blame fans in Montreal for Expos leaving. There are plenty of documentaries out there about why they moved. Yeah, this uh, It's really the imbalance of... It was probably a bad example. It was a good scolding by Jack Stan. And I think he's a Nationals fan. I don't know if he was an Expos fan prior, but I know he's a Nationals fan now. Uh, but it was more the, uh, the unbalanced nature of Major League Baseball that helped get the... Uh, Expos out of Montreal okay. uh, in the early 2000s. Well, I'm so, glad you told me because I didn't watch any documentaries about the Montreal nah, Expos. I haven't, so. but it's probably pretty good. Um, and, and teams leave for a variety of different reasons, and obviously the Chargers uh, know all about it, and sometimes it's stadiums. And uh, now the uh, Chargers are in L.A. Brent Martineau, former Jags player Austin Lane, uh, now glad to be joined by Eric Williams, uh, who covers the L.A. Chargers uh, for ESPN. Eric, how you doing, man? How's it going out west? 
It's going good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, thanks for taking the time. Uh, we appreciate it. And taking a look at the Jaguars' schedule uh, here in, in June, we'll see what it looks like uh, as the season unfolds. It will be later in the year that the Jaguars will play the Chargers. But give us a vibe. What's going on in L.A. with this Chargers team? Uh, I guess, first of all, just to kind of give our listeners an idea, have they settled into this whole arrangement of what's happening and now that they are the L.A. Chargers and not the San Diego Chargers? Yeah, going to the third season now, being in L.A., and I think the players have kind of adjusted uh, being in Los Angeles. Uh, they're located in Orange County in terms of their, their headquarters and training facility, and they had some fans there in Orange County that would go down to San Diego and watch games. So there was a little bit of a base there, and they're slowly trying to, to grow the fan base in Los Angeles and I think making a little bit of headway. Obviously, it was, was hard early on to, to kind of – you know, gain fans. Um, a lot of fans in San Diego uh, didn't make the trip up north and are a little bitter, obviously, with the team moving a couple hours north. But they still have a base of fans that come up from San Diego to Los Angeles. Uh, and then they're, they're, they're getting more fans coming to the games on a regular basis. They, they drew pretty well in terms of not having opposing fans taking over that smaller soccer stadium um, towards the end of the year. But I think ultimately we won't know what that fan base is going to look like until they move into their new facility, which is going to happen a year from now, 2020, when the Inglewood Stadium opens up. Hey, what's up, Eric? It's Austin Land, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. How you doing, Austin? Doing fantastic. So, listen, I want to start out, you know, uh, our questions with uh, probably the most interesting player um, on the San Diego Chargers, and to me, that's Anthony Lynn, the head coach. You know, this is a guy on the East Coast where we don't get a lot of coverage about him. Um, seems like an extremely fascinating dude. Just opened up a school in Tanzania uh, during the off season. I mean, what what do the players think about him? Is he a players' coach, and just what kind of personality does uh, Coach Lynn bring to the Chargers? Yeah, you're right. Anthony is an interesting guy and probably doesn't get enough shine nationally just because of the situation with the Chargers. Um, I think from afar, people would think that he's a player's coach. You know, he's a former player that won a Super Bowl with the Broncos uh, in the league. Um, but he really kind of takes on more of a Bill Parcells personality when it comes to, to, to managing players. Players certainly have a lot of respect for him. Um, he, he tries to give players ownership of the team and really relies on the veteran leadership to run things. But Anthony is, is, is really a truth teller in the way that he runs his team and the organization as a whole. Um, if, if you're not playing well, he'll let you know uh, sooner rather than later. And I think players respect that. Um, and so he, he's, he's more of a, I don't want to say dictator, but he is more of a, a guy that rules with, with, you know, a pretty, I don't want to say get iron fist, but 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 a hard edge to how he runs things. Um, he's not a guy that's going to be you know in there kind of like a Pete Carroll kind of coach. Um, but again, I, I think the results kind of let you know what the players think about him. He's had a lot of success the first couple of years. It was rough early on; they had that 0-4 start. Um, but I think his ability to kind of weather the storm early and lead that team to a nine and seven season helped earn some credibility in the locker room, and that, that carried over to the next year where they went 12-4 and four, made the playoffs for the first time since 2013. Um, strong leader, um, a, a good character, tries to be transparent for the most part with his players, and again, I think that has got him good results so far. A couple of years ago, uh, the Jaguars beat the Chargers here in Jacksonville in a crazy game. I mean, it was just, yep. I mean, they tried to give that way away 
both teams. <laughs> Every well, which the way. Chargers gave that away several times. <laughs> I mean, it was, and Jags just didn't want to take it. I mean, Blake Bortles yeah. tried to give it right back. I mean, yep. it, it was crazy, but it was part of a very good season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it also ended, you talk about dictatorship. I mean, Phillip Rivers has been the dictator when it comes to this series. He has been a guy the Jaguars have not been able to beat. In fact, that win in 2017 was the first time the Jags had beaten the Chargers in a decade. And it felt like yeah. they played them every single year. And they yep. just got owned by Rivers. Rivers is still getting it done at a high level. I think uh, he's a cool guy. He's got like 400 kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just a good dude. But he's still playing elite level football, isn't he, Eric? Yeah, and, and I think part of that is his program in the offseason. He really focused on endurance training. They try to limit his, his reps in terms of the throws because he's getting up there in age and, and let some of those other guys take the reps in the offseason. Um, Philip is, is a very focused individual when it comes to about football and competing. Um, you know, he hasn't won the big game yet, so he's always going to have that kind of chip on his shoulder because he feels like he has to go and, and earn that respect nationally, and he, and he wants to win. It's important to him. Um, I think what they've done organizationally is they've done a great job of surrounding him with playmakers to make his job easier. Starts with Melvin Gordon having that running game. Austin Eckler is a good change of pace back. That's a little different than than what Melvin does, a little bit of thunder and lightning there with those two guys. Uh, Hunter Henry coming out the ACL is one of the better tight ends in the league, so it's going to be important to, to get him involved in the offense early. And then you look at the receiver group, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Travis Benjamin. That's a pretty good trio. I, I think top five in terms of the league with what they can do and the diversity where they can attack teams. The key for them is going to be offensive line. You know, Russell Okung has an unspecified injury didn't participate in, in minicamp, um, he might not be ready for training camp. So if you don't have your your left tackle there, and now you're talking about going with two young guys and Sam Tevy uh, and Trent Scott, Sam Tevy is their starting right tackle. He would move over left tackles if Russell's not able to go and Trent, Trent Scott would play right tackle. What happens to that offensive line is really going to be the key to, to their season, I think. Eric, how is this running back group going to shake out, not only just from a fan perspective, but also a fantasy football uh, sure. perspective, you know, because... <laughs> Here he goes again. Because well, we have a guy like fantasy team. Well, you better believe it, Brent. I'm getting my money's worth in. But a guy like Melvin Gordon, I mean, you know, he's he's definitely a top elite running back, no doubt about it, but he does have an injury history. And you have a guy like sure. Austin Eckler who, who comes in, um, can spell Melvin Gordon uh, runs hard, can do it all, can run the ball, uh, can run between the tackles, can catch passes as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you see going forward where it's going to be kind of maybe um, a running back by committee, or is Melvin Gordon still the bell cow? Are they going to kind of limit his carries in the in the start of the season? What do you see happening there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Melvin is the bell cow guy. They want to get him 20 touches a game. I think what, what you saw him improve last year was his ability to catch passes out of the backfield and, and make him – a more versatile running back. They don't always have to pound him in between the tackles. Um, that said, you're right. He did wear down towards the end of the season. He was wearing two knee braces when they went in the playoffs because he had injuries to both knees. And so I think because of that, they definitely want to try to keep him fresh. Um, they like the two guys behind Eckler and, and Gordon, Justin Jackson, a seventh-round pick out of Northwestern, uh, a 1,000-yard running back four years in a row at Northwestern. And he made some plays when he's given an opportunity late in the year last year. And then they have an undrafted guy, Detrez Newsom, um, who also made some plays when they, when they gave him opportunity uh, when Melvin Gordon and Eckler were hurt towards the end of the year. So I do think Melvin's 
going to be a 20-touch guy a week, but I also think that they're going to try to get other guys involved because they really need Melvin Gordon fresh at the end of the year. You saw it when they played the Patriots. They couldn't run the football. They didn't have any balance, and so it really affected the way they wanted to attack in terms of you know, getting that running game going in the postseason, and they need Melvin healthy going into the postseason if they're going to do anything. Eric Williams uh, from ESPN covers the Chargers on a daily basis with us on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. You know, I think uh, take uh, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and uh, who else is out there? Broncos. <laughs> Broncos. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, take those guys out. I feel like the Chargers are like a likable team in the NFL. Huh? You know, I just feel like there's. Does anybody like hate the char? It doesn't feel that way. So, well, and, I enjoy them because they play good defense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on top of that, though, they have a likable people. Like, mm-hmm. Again, Philip Rivers on the field, he can kind of come off as that antagonist, sure. antagonistic, and and I can see how people cannot like him. But off the field, he he's, sounds like a super guy. Uh, Anthony Lynn, good guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, we know mm-hmm. Gus Bradley on the defensive side. But I'm talking. How about the guy like Derwin James? I mean, you talk mm-hmm. about a personality that's that's likable, and it just feels like they are that likable team. So I'll ask you more about Derwin James. I mean, how much yeah. – see, we see – Jalen Ramsey is a star uh, here mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. I think you can even feel that out in L.A., which is unusual for a Jacksonville Jaguars player since uh, Maurice Jones-Drew is probably one of the few that have been able to accomplish that. But Derwin James, Florida State guy, so we know a little bit about him, but he has the personality, the smile, the game to be a big-time star. How much of a presence – is felt by him in that locker room and even in a big city like L.A.? Yeah, it's it's big. I mean, he has a lot of juice both on the field and off the field. Just with the way that he plays, the swagger that he brings to the table. When he first came into camp, uh, Gus talked about him being a, a leader as a rookie. And I think some of the veterans kind of, you know, you know frowned a little bit on, on that because they really didn't feel like he had earned it. And then they went out and watched him play, and you're like, yeah, he is that dude, just with the the, the type of um, his mentality, you know, the physicality that he plays with, the athleticism that he plays with, and his ability to make plays. He's a very confident individual, um, very direct when you talk to him in person. So, yeah, he, he definitely is a likable personality, and they have several of them. Again, I just think people kind of sleep on this team because they're the second team in L.A., but – Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen, Philip Rivers, Hunter Henry. Um, they have a lot of guys that that, um, that have a presence to them. Um, and I think that the more that they win, the more people will see that nationally. Eric, you mentioned Hunter Henry. Um, you know, that, that's a guy who's really got to step up now with Antonio Gates, um, yeah. you know, kind of being out of the mix as well. And you have Virgil... Don't, don't realize Gates yet. Yeah, Gates he, he, like he just might come back. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, backing him up is Virgil Green, a, a, a guy who yeah. played in Denver who, you know, no, no disrespect to Virgil Green, but is probably more of a run-blocking tight end um, than anything. So with, with Hunter Henry, I mean, what is, what is the vibe on his part? I mean, is there a lot of added pressure now because he sat most of the season out last year? I mean, does he have to be kind of that guy going forward now in that offense to make it work yeah i mean there's always pressure for for anybody that's playing in the league um i don't know about added pressure certainly hunter wants to be successful but i think one of the things that helps hunter is this offense was explosive without him last year so you're really just kind of adding him to the mix of everything else that they can do offensively i think one of the things that helps them now is they can go two tight ends more often 
than maybe they did last year or, or wanted to last year. And by going to tight ends, Hunter can also block. He's a physical guy. He likes getting in there and mixing it up. So it really gives them uh, – it makes them a little more unpredictable on offense because if they're two tight ends, they can run it, they can pass it. They can do a lot of different things. They can split you out wide. Um, so it just gives them versatility in their offense and obviously another person that can attack the middle of the field. Um, but, again, you know, coming off ACL knee surgery, he did play, you know, a handful of plays against the Patriots in, in the last game. And the fact that he was able to come back, you know, six months, seven minutes, six months, seven months out from ACL just shows the kind of grit that he has. Um, but I just think it just gives them another weapon to attack teams and makes them more explosive as, 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 as an offense. But I don't feel like there's any added pressure on Hunter um, because, again, there's there's so many guys that you can give the football to. Jacksonville Jaguars will host the L.A. Chargers on December 8th here in Jacksonville. Four o'clock kick, uh, a lot of later starts for the Jaguars this year. They've got a few four o'clock kicks, and uh, that one uh, here on the East Coast, so makes it uh, normal one o'clock time uh, for the folks out in L.A. Eric Williams, who covers the Chargers, hanging out with us for a couple more minutes. Uh, Brent Martin, Austin Lane on ESPN 690. All right, Gus Bradley, we know him well, uh, at times maligned around here because of uh, his record as a head coach, but there's no mm-hmm. doubt what his defenses have been able to do from Seattle to even the one we see in Jacksonville he had some of his fingerprints on that and the Chargers defense has been very good but if there's a criticism of that Chargers defense and maybe of Gus's scheme 38 points against Kansas City 35 points against the Rams 30 points against the Pittsburgh Steelers and then obviously the playoff game against New England where New England just raced out to a big lead is there some concern or is there chatter that Gus has to makes put in some wrinkles to what they're already doing to at least uh, offset some of those big scoring outputs from big time sure. offenses, especially the way this league has gone. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I said they, they won a couple of those games. So, I mean, you have to, to say that um, I think with Gus's scheme, it, it's about personnel. I mean, you've seen it in Jacksonville, right? Mm-hmm. If they have the right personnel and, and in Seattle, if they have the right personnel running that scheme, they're going to be more effective. The problem with the New England game is they played seven defensive backs because all their linebackers were on the injured reserve. That's fair. So they really too. had no yeah. choice. Yeah, good note. I mean, good they, note they, that. they did yeah. run those their linebackers out there a couple times, and I mean, it, I, it really did depend on how quickly you wanted the Patriots to score. Did you did you just want to at least make them earn a couple third downs, or you just want to give up a couple big plays? Yeah, um, and it was a so story, by the way, Eric, not to interrupt you, but it was a story coming out of the Baltimore game that the Chargers got the win by d- even doing that, and then obviously right. it turned out the other way against New England. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously they have to do a better job of, of, of limiting points. I think, you know, Gus said it this offseason, this is the fastest team that he's had defensively since he's been with the Chargers. And I think what that means is, you're going to have more rangy linebackers that you can leave out there in passing situations and still feel like you can get the job done so you can stop the run as well. And, you know, when Gus was in Seattle, Seattle for the most part was um, ran nickel predominantly, which means they could leave K.J. Wright and Wagner on the field, still stop the run, but also line up in passing situations and be effective and get off the field, also take the ball away. So, to me, it's critical that Thomas Davis stays healthy, Denzel Perryman stays healthy, so those guys can be on the field for the majority of the reps, and you don't have to go to seven defensive backs um, at the end of the season because your guys are hurt. 
when they go nickel and they have guys that can run and chase, Derwin James basically is another linebacker. Um, I think they feel pretty good about their chances of, again, getting off the field and third down and taking the ball away and getting it back to an explosive offense. So for me, I don't think it's about the scheme. I don't think it's about being more multiple per se or blitzing more. I just think it's about executing within the scheme and having the players and personnel available that can make the plays that need to be made. The last question for you, Eric. Uh, do you think, obviously, they've had Phillip Rivers around for a while. Uh, they've had some interesting parts on offense, but they really, you talked about the wide receivers. I mean, they're good. I get it. The offensive line's a question mark, but uh, mm-hmm. take me to a place where it's not in the NFL. In most places it is. <laughs> and on defense, they have a lot of parts. And now a young guy like Derwin James is, is growing, maturing, getting even better. Thomas Davis, from a leadership standpoint, we'll see how much he's got left. I mean, the guy feels like yeah. he's 500 years old, but he, sure. he's still got game, uh, they think. Is this the best roster they've compiled? Is my question, and and I will say that the Chargers have been about as snake bit as a te- of a team as you can find in the NFL. They have had more injuries year in year out than just about any team, and maybe there's some documentation that that indicates that, but it certainly yeah. feels that way. So, do they have their best chance to to win big that that you can remember, or even they can remember? Yeah, I think so. I think this is really the beginning of a two to three year, year window they have to win a Super Bowl with, with Rivers there. Um, they, they really worked on improving their depth across the board. You know, they didn't make a lot of splashy moves in free agency, but they did add Thomas Davis, which is a player they felt like they needed in the middle to kind of solidify things and give them a veteran presence, and they still feel like he can play. They added Tyrod Taylor, which was kind of surprising because Phillip Rivers doesn't miss games. I mean, he's, he's the most durable quarterback in the league right now. But I think they felt like with Phillip, you know, he kind of lost a little juice at the end of the year. And they just wanted to protect themselves a little bit. So Tyrod is a, is a solid backup in the league. Guy that's won games. And so you're protected at the quarterback position. And, and I just think defensively they have playmakers at all three levels. You know, obviously Bosa and Ingram uh, at the defensive line. Uh, Thomas Davis, Denzel Perryman are both solid uh, linebackers that can make plays. And then secondary, Derwin James, Casey Hayward. They add Nazir Adderley, second-round pick. They hope it's going to start at free safety. Desmond King is, I think, one of the best or top five slot defenders. Um, so they have playmakers at all three levels. I didn't even mention Adrian Phillips that, that made a Pro Bowl as a safety because he played a lot of linebacker. Um, it's just staying healthy. You know, it's a marathon in the NFL. you got to have your playmakers available when you go in the postseason if that happens. And they can get these games at home instead of having to go to New England or Kansas City then I like their chance. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, playing at home would be critical, uh, even if it is not in a huge, huge stadium. It might even help even more being in, in that place. Uh, I will say this, and this is not joking. They have a great roster, but I hope they have a field goal kicker that can kick because they have had big-time issues in that department. Over hey, the they, got, they got the money badger. <laughs> money badger. So, so like there's it. confidence there, right? He made 15 out of 16 yeah. uh, last year, including a – franchise best 59 yarder so they feel like they've found their guy yeah it's probably a lot of surprise people that josh lambo's doing as well yeah. here in jacksonville uh, as, a little uh, bit of surprise there yeah yeah i bet uh but he's obviously just re-signed uh, into a, a contract extension that's been very good for the jacksonville jaguars all right last question for you have you been in that uh, philip rivers mobile like have you seen it i have seen it it's impressive is it uh, I haven't ridden in it, uh, but I have seen it, and he looks like he'll be very comfortable in it going back and forth from San Diego to Los Angeles. Um, yeah, I guess it's a little over an hour that he spends on the road, has a driver that drives him back and forth. Um, he's, he says it's been a lot easier transition than he thought it would be. 
um, and, and, and going up to Los Angeles and choosing to stay in San Diego. And, and again, he says he wants to play at least until the stadium opens. They haven't got a deal done yet. He still has one year left on his contract. But all indications are that, you know, Philip isn't going anywhere. Yeah, that's pretty cool to open that stadium. Eric, a little follow-up, too. I mean, you know, Philip Rivers has seemed to kind of found the fountain of youth, if you will. I mean, do you get the sense that with his next contract coming up, I mean, would he take a discount to try to win that Super Bowl? Or are we looking at a guy who's going to want a max deal? Yeah, I don't think Phil's the kind of guy that like, that gives money back. I, mean, I think <laughs> I think he wants the money, and rightly wants the money yeah. that he deserves. I think when you look at what Roethlisberger got, I think he's like, hey, um, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I think you're looking at two years, you know, thirty to thirty-five million a year. I mean, that's kind of what guys are getting. I think that's what he deserves based on how he's performed. He hasn't really had a significant drop off in the last couple of years, and probably had one of his best seasons last year. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to want to get paid. Yeah, right. gas in that rig going back and forth from L.A. to San Diego. It's expensive, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gas out here in California, ain't you? <laughs> hey, Eric Williams uh, from ESPN covers the L.A. Chargers. Thanks for taking a few minutes, and I guess we'll catch up with you uh, in early December the next time, all right? Yeah, sounds good. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. All right, Thank appreciate it. Derek Williams uh, from ESPN out there in L.A. Chargers, an interesting team. Like I said, don't you feel that way a little bit about the Chargers? Kind of fun? Like, I like, like I can yeah. root for the Chargers. Like, yeah. you you were rooting for the Chargers last year to beat New England. Yeah. And then they got Whoa, their butt whooped. Listen, but. I mean, if they can stay healthy, Brent, I can see them having probably the best defensive end tandem in the entire NFL. Yeah. With, with Joey Bose and Melvin Ingram. Absolutely. Um, you, I tell you, Gus has some players on that. You, I mean, he picked, he had some spots to go. Yeah. And he picked the right spot. I, I mean, mean, what they've been able to do on defense and yeah. build that thing and who they have. And then, then you add that with, I mean, Casey Hayward, a guy who was playing nickel in Green Bay, comes over to San Diego as one of the best corners in the league right now. I mean, you look at that secondary. Um, they're, they're, they're no pushover either. You know, they're one of the best secondaries in the NFL. And then you had Thomas Davis for his leadership. Um, you know, I think a guy can, who can still play at a very, very high level. And then we haven't talked about their high-powered offense. You know, I mean, it seemed like the story of the, them last year was their high-powered offense, but they got a solid defense as well. So you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, man, and you uh, you got to be a little nervous if you're getting ready to play them. Don't you feel like they have, like, a great balance of swag, youth, veteran, Savvy, you know, yeah. I threw those four words out, right? Yeah. I mean, because you kind of equate swag to you, savvy to veteran. Yeah. And it comes at big spots. Mm-hmm. It comes with the quarterback spot, of course. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you've got such a respect to guy. It's all you need on that side of the ball. You got one guy. And they're, they want to do well for Phillip Rivers, is my guess. But then you bring in even a Thomas Davis, who's probably as well respected as you can get in the NFL in that yeah. linebacker room. And to go along with all that youth and that flash and the swag. and yeah. I mean, they've got a nice mix. Like, I'm always interested in the mix. How yeah. many guys can you have that are like, okay, they're on their own little planet no, over absolutely. here. And how many guys that you need that are really good leader? We talk about it, Calais Campbell, the Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. See, the Jags might have that now, Nick Foles. But well, I, I don't know what the number is. Is it two or three guys that you can have off on an island? Is it three or four leaders that you need, two on each side of the ball? I don't know the number. It just feels like the Chargers have the right spread, the right balance. If, if they can stay healthy, they're definitely making some noise in the playoffs. I mean, as long as you know you have a guy like Keenan Allen who, when he's healthy, is one of the best wide receivers in the league. You have a guy like Melvin Gordon. When he's healthy, one of the biggest you know running backs in the league. It's just a matter of staying healthy throughout the season. And where's Mike Williams on your fantasy Mike Williams, list? well, that's a deep threat right there. You know I mean? That guy can take the top off like it's nobody's business. So um, you look at that roster, Brent, and I'm Honestly, I'm looking at it right now, and 
I think it's one of the most complete teams in the NFL. Yeah, and you just said it. Yeah, and, and, and it's along with with the, with the head coach who you know seems to be like the quote unquote new thing who, who seems to be um uh you know to be a big influence in that locker room and everything. I think they have all the pieces to be successful this season. Well, and and you know you also said talk about balancing the coaching ranks. Anthony Lynn. Who's, who's doing a nice job, it looks like. Ken Wisenhunt, who has done it, who's been a head coach, experience, and Gus Bradley, who's been a head coach. I mean, yeah. I know he comes with his critics around here, but he's still, he's been through it. He's, mm-hmm. He knows what it's like to win in Seattle. He knows what it's like not to win here, mm-hmm. and now from this defense. So they've got actually a nice, I talked about Tampa's coaching staff with kind of the up-and-comer with Byron Leftwich and, and Todd Bowles, who had done it before. We talked about that a little bit yesterday with Bruce Arians. Yep. Well, I think the L.A. Chargers kind of fit that mode, too. So, fascinating football team. You said it, man. How many words is that? Five, Four words? Five words? If they can stay healthy. Five yeah. words. Yeah. If they can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. That is the key. Yep. I mean, go back and look at the injuries the yep. Chargers have had. It's been, you almost cancel feel bad training for camp. Them. Just cancel the training <laughs> camp. Come out week yeah. one. Forget the preseason games. Forfeit them all. And just come out week one ready to roll, Chargers. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's some Chargers talk. Thanks to uh, Eric Williams. When we come back, a little balling and falling, which will send us maybe back out to California for an interesting story that's been happening in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. It's all next on ESPN 690. Thanks, Eric Williams, for uh, hanging out with us for a few minutes. Got a couple more to go. In fact, I got to try to line up a Raiders uh, beat guy, and uh, should have the Atlanta Falcons. I think we have two teams left in our June look at the way too early look at the Jacksonville Jaguars schedule. Getting a lot of comments on social media about is it uh, about your hat? It's not about From my Friday? hat. Oh, okay, not about I'm my getting hat. a lot of comments on it. Um, it's more about. What if your team were to move? Uh, ridiculous MC Whale says, bleep no. <laughs> uh, Matthew says, if Jack's moved four games to London, the bank would be a ghost town. It'd be a slap across the fan base's face. Um, Eric says, your son is like every other race fan if he doesn't go to the games. Yeah, maybe. Jack's affinity. This is kind of funny. Root, root, root for the half there and half their home team. Mm. <laughs> sound right, it doesn't, doesn't have the same ring to yeah, it, he said, so go. probably not. <laughs> Fair enough. That's my singing for the day. Nailed uh, it. Yeah, nailed it. So let's see what else. Uh, Stevie Sachs says, that's what I've been saying. We're headed towards half the home games in London. Lock it up. Uh, I'm not buying it, Stevie. No. I, I don't think so. I think you could maybe get to there. I don't see a day with four, although I do. Th- I mean, I could see why people could come up with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't see a day uh, where that. Not here's the thing about Jacksonville. See, Jacksonville's growing, mm-hmm. leaps and bounds growing, like one of the faster growing cities in in the country. Yeah. I mean, we've done what we've done in Jacksonville. I say we've, like I've been a part of it. I haven't, but I mean, they've done in Jacksonville without basically a downtown. You know, yeah. or at least look at, look at the without a vibrant downtown. Look at the St. John's Town Center for a second, how much that place has grown. Because I used to live over there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like three years later, I drive past, like, oh, okay, they have every restaurant known to man now in the city of Jacksonville at St. John's Town so, Center. I Very mean, cool. Downtown is going to continue to grow, in my opinion. I believe that. Mm. The housing market is great right now in Jacksonville in a lot of ways, uh, at least down towards St. John's County, and it's fast growing, Nocatee, all these areas. Mm-hmm. It's a huge landscape 
um, from a mileage standpoint. And I think the next stage or the last domino to fall in all that, and again, we might be talking in, within the next five to ten years, is more like Fortune 500 companies, sponsorship dollars, mm-hmm. more of those kind of companies, more of like the web.coms of the world or the Everbanks that now turn into TIAA Bank. But, you know, you need more of those so you can get more dollars and sponsorship dollars. And uh, I think that's still a missing component in Jacksonville. But this location, as it continues to grow, you know, in TV – we have markets. Oh, we have markets in radio too, but I know the TV markets because you always kind of look at it. Like when I was in Alexandria, Louisiana, I was in market 173. Mm-hmm. There's only like 212 markets. It's, it's based on population, essentially, how many people can turn their TVs on. And, uh, Alpena, Michigan is the last one, number 212, or it was, uh, maybe, maybe not anymore. I haven't looked yeah. in a long time. Yeah. But, uh, for instance, I was in Providence at the time. It fluctuated between like 47 to 52. And Albany, New York, between like 49 and 55, it would go back and forth. Well, when I first got to Jacksonville, it was like market, I think like 50 or 51 or something like that. Well, then it went to 49, then to 47. Now it's market 42. And I think we're going to get to a time where it's like, in the mid-30s, which would make it the same as about a Columbus, Ohio, or even a Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Nashville might be a little bit bigger than that now because it's grown so much. But you get my point, you know? So we're not, we're talking about a different city. You can't, the city's growing too. Uh, so I don't think we ever get to that point because I think there's is a more vibrant city to keep the Jaguars as they continue to grow into it. That's why I have no threat of the Jaguars leaving in my mind. Um, meanwhile, would you root for another team? Burn Hill is uh, speaking to you. That's easy to answer. Ask the lady in your life if you can spend half the time with her and the other half with that crazy, fun-loving Scorpio from the gym. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I am a Scorpio, and I do go to a gym. Uh, Brandon says, baseball's a lot different than, say, football. I mean, you're still ta- talking 40-some-odd games in Tampa, the same in Montreal. That being said, I ain't about sharing my team with another city. This is weird. Sharing is caring, though. Coos, absolutely not. Not in this case, man. Is that is that how you, you, you apply your relationship? Is that what you're bringing to the table? No, but it's not a relationship. It is a relationship. You, you put time and effort, you spend money on it. See, the problem with you, Coos, here's the problem with you, Coos, <laughs> yep. is well, you're like a Philly fan. Right, you're you're a you're a Seventy Sixers fan. Yeah. Are you really at heart an Eagles fan? You grew up in Philly. Yeah, uh, football is the only one that's different. But everything else, I'm. I'm what are you in? Football? I'm actually a Redskins fan. In Redskins, football. wow, that's like sacrilegious. It's because yeah. my dad said um, be an Eagles fan, and I was in that like, well, I'm going to do the opposite. So you're a Phillies fan. <laughs> yeah. But I, honestly, being around you now, I I don't get the sense you are like. I, I get the sense you really like the 76ers, but I also get the sense you really like the NBA. I don't really get the sense you're like die hard. If you live there, go to every game, fan. I just don't. No, I, I pre- honestly, most games I'd rather You prefer, like, just... the lemon bar. Yeah, I'd rather watch him from the lemon bar. Like... <laughs> what about me, Brad? What do you feel about me and my fandom? Oh, no, I think you'd go. Yeah. Like, I think you're locked in. That's oh, the oh, difference. Oh, we got a tatted on my back, Brewers. So, yeah. <laughs> and by the way... I'm pretty much all in. To be fair, I'm more like Coos. Like, I'd yeah. be casual fan guy. Like, I am not locked into a team. Like, even if I... Li- now, listen, I'd love to go watch the Red Sox every single game if I could because I'm a baseball fan more so than I love the Red Sox. I got to go see, you know, whoever... Play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm more a baseball fan. I think if we had a, a baseball team, major league baseball team in here, I could buy season tickets and go watch that team. Sure, it's fine. Yeah. Um, 
But anyway, I think there's a difference. That's, that's why when you say that, the, the, I do feel like there's a lot of diehard Jags fans in here, yeah. and that's awesome. And that is a relationship. And times, that's a more important relationship than the one you're in. <laughs> and that's a cool thing. Yeah, like, that's it is. a cool thing, man. That's, yeah. a, that's what's awesome about sports. Well, and that's the thing, Brent. Like, you spend your hard-earned dollars on sports. Like, you, you put your time, your passion, um, your feelings into sports. And when it doesn't go your way, it breaks your heart. So it really is like, you know, kind of courting a female, if you will, or the, a member of the opposite sex. And uh, it can break your heart, man. So I can see where these people are coming from. Absolutely. Uh, Hank Wilson says, would I be a fan? Yeah, probably. But I think true fandom runs deep. Would I be a season ticket holder or go to many games? That's a definite no. All right. On the other side, we do have balling and falling. We also have uh, happy hour horn. And coming up in just a short time, former Jags coach Jack Del Rio joins us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, hope you're having a great week, everybody, in Jacksonville and beyond. 5 o'clock uh, here in Northeast Florida on ESPN 690. Thanks for hanging out with us, having some fun. You know, they call these like the dog days of summer and Sports Talk Radio. Yeah. We're just talking about a break. It's been fun. Having we're, a blast. We're just, uh, yeah, man, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're freestyling this thing, man. Absolutely. I'm having a blast with it. I, mean, I think yeah. some of the best stories come from freestyling. Occasionally, you got to talk about flats or drums. I mean, that's the case. But it's all good. We're having fun doing it. Yes, sir. So, uh, Jack Del Rio coming up in about 20 minutes. Uh, really excited to talk to Jack. Haven't in a long time. Probably since the NFL owners meetings, I think it was for me, uh, a few years back. I, I talked to him at one of the Super Bowls when he was with uh, Denver mm-hmm. and was in the Super Bowl as a coordinator. Uh, but it's really been a long time. I mean, think about it now for Jack Del Rio, and you can e- equate to this. You played for him. But uh, it's eight years since yeah. he's been in Jacksonville. Yeah, it's a long time ago. since I've seen him. You know, yeah. and well, listen, yeah. I, I do think, and I, I, I wonder if we'll be able to feel this from Jack or, or not. And uh, you know, I asked him to come on. We're doing this 25th season celebration, and he was, you know, didn't really hesitate to come on. So I think he's fine with how everything's played out. But I do think when you leave a place, there's got to be some bitterness. To of leaving. Yeah. Uh, he did a nice job in his career in Jacksonville. I mean, yeah, he didn't win big, but I mean, he had a, a ebbs and flows and ups and downs. But I'm sure he also didn't feel like he was handed I'm, a great team. Mm-hmm. He, at one time, I remember late in his tenure, talked about the talent or lack thereof on the roster, mm-hmm. uh, which you don't usually hear from a coach, but I do think it had come to that by 2011. I think it played out that way, in fairness to him, yeah. right? I mean, by 2011 and 12, and you look at the team when they really kind of broke it up mm-hmm. and, and started over, I mean, you're talking about a few years that it was really void of talent here in Jacksonville. Yep. And, uh, you know, all the way to when Gus took over that first year, I mean, that first year was historically one of the most awful teams yeah. <laughs> from a talent standpoint and from a performance standpoint in the first eight games uh, the NFL has ever seen. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting stretch, but Del Rio also had a chance to experience some of the good times, the good years. And, I mean, even in your rookie year, mm-hmm. that, was a, that was a good season mm-hmm. right up until the disappointment of the final couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, and as we're talking about the NFL, Brent, um, we always talk about whether you're a player, you're a coach, even a GM. I mean, pick your pick your spot here. You usually don't get to exit on your own terms no. um, unless you do things, um, you know, uh, ungodly right yeah. and uh bill belichick but, yeah and that's never really the way it goes so you know and, and i, I kind of had a animosity too as well when when i had to walk an exit stage left and go to another team then another team after that and you know 
etc. But, you know, time does heal all. Um, I think, you know, once you're kind of out of the game for a little bit, you have time for self-reflection and you kind of go over some things in your head. So I, I'm really curious to see uh, where coaches now, you know, just um, his mindset of his thoughts towards the city of Jacksonville and, and those teams and just um, if he wants to kind of dip his toes back in the coaching pool. Yeah, and I, I wonder that, too, because he's been a little more active on Twitter. Sure. He'll, in the last like six months, I've noticed yeah. that he'll actually peek in on a conversation or have a thought here or there, which yeah. is kind of fun. And, you know, Jack could be great at that role, too. If you oh, wanted yeah. to go work at NFL Network oh, or a place a like that. Oh, you a fantastic analyst. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting. And, and make no mistake about it. Jack Del Rio should not have been fired or let go in Oakland. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have. Yeah. They just wanted John Gruden. And once that worked out, uh, Obviously, Gruden got hired, and, and yeah. Del Rio got let go. Uh, you know, I always think it's interesting in your business, right, in, in the professional sports business. And nobody thinks like this because you can't. You're competitive, and, and but it's so different that you could think like this, that you know it's going to end. Like, you mm-hmm. know it's going to end, and it's probably going to fail. Mm-hmm. You can't sustain it. Like, you just can't. Like, mm-hmm. From a coaching standpoint, you know sooner or later – you're go that franchise quarterback's going away, and you're not going to get one, or you're going to get uh, have a bad season, and then the owner runs out of patience or whatever. And even though you think you can survive it, and you think you can be a Bill Belichick and just run it out for as long as you want, or a Nick Saban and run it out for as long as you want, in that profession, you kind of know it's going to fail. Like at some point, mm-hmm. you, and you can almost not even control it to a degree. Same thing from a playing standpoint. Well, there comes a time, even if you play for a long time, you're going to get slower. There's going to be a youngster that's better than you. There's going to be someone that's cheaper than you. But you know all those things, that you are sooner or later, there's a window of time. See, that is so different than the life like I feel I live and other people live. Now, it could be the case in my industry, right? They could say, hey, you're you're out of here. We're done with you. The ratings aren't good. Uh, This isn't going to work. But I do think it's most of us go to work every day and be like, Okay, we're going to go to work again tomorrow. And yeah. and I feel like in 20 years, if I continue to do a good job, we're going to be there in 20 years. But professional sports is so different, and especially because you're usually very young. Yeah, I'll never forget. Do you remember a coach by the name of Sylvester Croom? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not, is, is he still coaching? Or is he, okay. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know what? I feel like I saw his name. I, I know he was last uh, with the Tennessee Titans, I believe, as a running backs coach. But the reason I bring up his name was because back in 2012, um, Mike Malarkey's year, you know, the year that kind of went to crap, yep. um, to say the least. I'll never forget we're sitting, um, we're sitting in, in the meeting room. I'm sorry, we're sitting the night before a game. And I, for, I think we we're at home, and I forgot who we were playing. Uh, forgive me. But Sylvester Croom kind of stood up, and he was a quiet dude. He wasn't a guy I really interacted with a lot, especially um, being a running back uh, coach. But he got up and he said, you know, going forward, there'll be some changes in, in, in this room with the guy sitting in here. And, you know, the writing was on the wall. We understood that. And this is a guy that played a little bit in the NFL as well. But he said, never be comfortable. Uh, when you go to the next team, never be comfortable. Uh, he said the only time I ever was comfortable in the NFL was when I retired because that's the way the game works is every single day you should, when you walk through that gate or you put your, your key code in, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable because that is the environment. Now, was he saying, well, you should be stressing about losing your job every single day? No, but I think what he was trying to get at is you need to do your due diligence. You need to work as hard as possible because there is a guy that's exactly your same size, but guess what? Costs a couple hundred thousand dollars cheaper. Yeah. And if that's the case, they're going to replace you. 
you. So, um, but yeah, well, I think one of the, the best pieces of advice I ever received uh, was from a running backs coach, and he said, never be comfortable in the NFL. But don't you think half those players, and by the way, ring the bell for a Miss- oh, yeah, Mississippi State. Uh, but don't you think most of those guys sitting there at 22, 23 years old are like, appreciate it, coach, but... Oh, I'm guess be what? Fine. Bren, I mean, right. my, be fine. my first two seasons, when I'm starting defensive end, life was peachy. You know, I mean, you couldn't tell me anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I was confident in, in my abilities to, to work. Um, I was confident in my abilities on the field. You couldn't tell me anything. Yeah, you're on the escalator. Exactly. Right? And then, then all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they bring in Matt Roth. You know, uh, he, he was a veteran. I forgot. I think he was with Cleveland the last team. I think he was. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, you know, like. You're starting to see the writing on the wall just a little bit. You know, and granted, I, I still started some games that year, but, um, you know, I, I think Coach Kroom had it right where you can't be comfortable. And listen, it's such a fine line, Brent, because when I was in Chicago, and, and I'll quick share this story with you because, um, you know, it kind of relates to the story. When I was in Chicago, I, I was miserable because I felt like I wasn't getting my fair share. And when I say that, and I think I've kind of told this story a little bit before, and I'm not trying to put anybody in a bad light here, but, you know, like, for instance, like, my position coach, like, sometimes he wouldn't, he wouldn't know my name, or he'd call me the wrong name in meetings during training camp. Oh, and, and then I remember, like, I, I would write that every single time he messed up my name, every single time he called me back the wrong number, every single time he just went past me on the film, didn't coach me at all, I wrote that down. And I wrote that down, and I looked at that before practice every single day. And I would be like, he doesn't respect you, you need to earn that respect, and things like that. And now, yeah, granted, I mean, is that that's one way to do things, but I think... um in retrospect, now that I've had some time to reflect on it, it, it kind of was an unhealthy behavior because all of a sudden the game stopped being fun. It, it started to be like, F you, I'm going to show you that you're making a mistake by not coaching me and things like that. And it, 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 it was a vicious cycle, you know, and um, I probably wasn't in the healthiest state of mind towards my time in Chicago. So it, it's a slippery slope because you have to look at it like every day is not, you know, granted towards you as a player, but also you still have to enjoy the time that you're in. Yeah, so, and you've been asking a lot of the guys we've yeah, talked about, the former players, did you? You get to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. And a lot of them, they'll say, I wish I did more. Exactly. And, uh, you know, listen, it's what I say about if you're doing any job, driving home from work today, most jobs. Now, there might be someone that has a pay stub and is like, yeah, I like looking at what I got paid. <laughs> yeah. But I do say in a lot of jobs, people just feel this way in general, that they should be paid more. Mm-hmm. Most people. Yeah. I would say. And I think one of the worst, but the way to get toxic in work is to do that. It's the entitlement. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. that's not usually the problem in the NFL, though it can be mm-hmm. relative to what the other guy's making. But obviously, we're talking about bigger sums of money as an athlete. But I do think that guy working that 9-to-5 job, that, that woman working that 9-to-5 job, probably all of us said, man, I should be getting more. I'm doing more. I'm, I'm, I should get more. It doesn't work that way. Like in the NFL, if you go sack 15 people, then you're probably going to get paid a you're good, good amount of money. You're going to get rewarded. Well, yeah. that always worked that in everyday life. Uh, but I will also say this. Everyday life, you usually don't have someone crawling up your ass trying to take your job. True. But, you I know, mean, I mean, you really you don't. And, and, and athletes do have that. Yeah. Like but, you, nobody goes, few people go to work wondering if their key code is going to work. True. But you guys do that on a daily basis. But you hit it right in the head, Brent. Like, I was so concerned of going out there every day at practice, you know, uh, doing my thing. I was so concerned about getting the most workouts that I can just to try to show the trainers that, listen, I am trying to be committed. I was so concerned with during OTAs, not, or the vacation, not going home to see my friends. I want to stay in the stadium, have my face be, be seen. At the end of the day, all 
all I had to do was produce during the preseason games. There was four games for me to try to produce, and that's eventually during reflection and things like that, I finally realized that. Like, yeah, you can do all these extra things. You can get the extra cold tubs. You can uh, be early to meetings and say hey to the coaches and be this friendly guy. But if you're not producing on the field, man, it doesn't matter how much work you put in. And that, that's, the, that's the story at the end of the day. That really is. Uh, yeah. and it's not always the story in everybody's line of work. No, exactly. It really isn't, but yeah. it certainly is uh, in, in that line of work. Yep. And that, and, and if you would have ever purchased new vans during your career, you might have, <laughs> may have stuck around a little well, bit longer. Well, I have them now, so if somebody wants to give me a call, I'm waiting. <laughs> All right, we got a little story time in there. Let's get a little happy hour horn time now. Grab a drink, get a shot, sip your star tenders, and, you know, maybe grab a water, too. It's a little hot out there. Yeah, locally owned tequila right here in Jacksonville, made in tequila, Mexico. Shipped directly to Jack's Beach. Make your own recipes with Vita de Luis tequila, one of the smoothest tequilas you will ever taste. For locations, recipes, and merchandise, visit VitaDeLuis.com. Drink responsibly. You just told the story. Your key card did not work key today. Key card work did not come That's in. That's awesome. Not sure what a if great it was punctuation mark. I know, right? Not sure if it was because of the the sun beating down and it got a little <laughs> overheated or what. But yeah, my key card was not working. So thankfully, Kuz uh, let me in there. I had to come call. That's why when you said that when you guys were talking a second ago, I was laughing over here. I was yeah. like, "That's funny because well, Austin's didn't work today." And it was funny because like you know we, we we had a marketing meeting today that Brent was a part of. I couldn't make it out of oh. training and dropped my son off. So I was like, "Oh, I guess that meeting didn't go too well." Uh, see you guys later. <laughs> we should. I played that up a little more. Oh, yeah. I, I thought about that. that. I was going to come in and all my stuff's in boxes and everything. <laughs> Brett, you're sitting here and, and Austin called me. He's like, hey, man, my card's not working. And, yeah. like, I had this, like, five-second dilemma. I was like, oh, do I play into this or do I just go uh, get it? You should have played into it. it. I, I would have. Yeah. yeah, and Austin definitely would have. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we would have <laughs> if it was you, Kuz. <laughs> Without a doubt, man. So, uh, hey, time for some balling and fall. What you got? Yeah, balling. Brett, I'll tell you what I was doing. Yes, I was at a wedding Saturday, but was I really there at the reception? Not really, because I was watching. Uh, bare knuckle boxing on my phone during a reception dinner, and while there were some people from the, the the bride side who wanted to have conversations about Milwaukee and things like that, I was too enthralled with what was happening. And what was happening was, uh, you could say, one of the biggest upsets in bare knuckle boxing history, if not the best, where Artem Lobov, you know, uh, basically a 500 MMA fighter, took on Pauli Malignaggi, a guy I've talked about a little bit uh, on the show. He's the guy that spit and. Artem's face. He's the guy that uh, was bad-mouthing MMA fans and bad-mouthing pretty much the sport of MMA in general. And you could kind of see what was setting up here. I think the goal was to have Paulie win that fight and then call Conor McGregor for a super fight in the boxing ring. Well, Artem Lobov had different ideas, man. Ended up winning a decision in bare-knuckle boxing, uh, much to the surprise of me and other fans as well. I guess it, it was said that Paulie did break his hand in the first or second round, so that was an issue where he, he could only jab uh, for the rest of the, of the match. But Still, uh, big props, big props to Artem Lobov for you know doing his thing. All right, uh, my balling's easy. It's Giannis. I mean, we spent a little bit of time on it earlier, but uh, to win the MVP. I mean, that was my balling, but I figured we already talked about it. But it's all good. We're all good, oh, man. Oh, you, you kind of you you did a little audible there. Yeah, that's why I had the the Greek national anthems chalked up. Oh, but hey, great! Hey. Take it away, Brent. My, my bad. No, no problem. I mean, <laughs> listen, he got he got a three fifteen segment. Yep, Go he ahead. belongs. 
on the uh, 515 segment. Yes. Don't we have Giannis from yesterday? He was emotional. See, we've got added sound. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's Giannis accepting the MVP award, I think. I think my dad, uh, obviously, you know, my dad is not here with me, but, uh, you know, two two years ago, you know, I had to go in my head that I'm going to be the best player in the league. I'm going to do whatever it takes to help my team win, and I'm going to win the MVP. Well, the reason, too, uh, by the way, I love the emotion. Uh, you know, one thing I can't uh, equate to, and, and I have no idea how this would be, hmm. is you come to another country, right, to play ball. And, you know, part of it is, hey, you're getting paid really well. You're doing what you want to do. The NBA is the NBA. I mean, that's globally, that's what you want to do. You want to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. But I, I do think, uh, whether it's these last couple of weeks, months, that night, last night, that when he, to win the MVP, to do all this stuff, I mean, the, the flood of emotion that yeah. would come back to know that you're, you're not even at home. This is away from home. This is a brand new everything to you. Yeah. And you're still able to do it. I think it's an impressive thing. Like, I can't put myself there mm-hmm. because I've never done something like that. But I've been now overseas. I go to, I just can't imagine going to London trying to, uh, make hay in, in this industry and, and doing really so well that uh, I'm at the top of my game now, like, yeah. like Giannis. I think that's a much more difficult thing than we allow it to be or at least, uh, acknowledge it to be because it's so common now. We see it with golfers, whether from Australia or from Europe or Asia. Everybody's playing golf or so many NBA players now are international players. And so I think it's become so common that we don't stop and say, and that's a hard thing to do. It's not easy. You didn't yeah. grow up around this stuff. And uh, Giannis has obviously done it at a high level. Here's what I enjoyed about the whole presentation last night. Um, and I'm, I'm just speaking from my opinion here, and I, and I may be wrong, but I saw a guy who wasn't wearing the most expensive suit. I saw a guy who wasn't blinged out with these fancy watches, these necklaces. Um, I just saw a guy who was emotional, who thanked his family, um, who made it about basketball because it was a guy, and yes, he is talented when he came out. There was some question marks. He has the obviously the frame. He has the length. But this is a guy, Brent, who has, for lack of a better word, busted his ass to get where he's at um, and taken no prisoners in doing so, and he's only getting better. And I think that's why you saw so much emotion because I don't know if there's really, and it's hard for me to say, but there may not be a harder worker in the NBA right now than Giannis Adetokounmpo. This is a guy who refuses to train with other basketball players because he wants to do more than they are. So he, he doesn't want to train with them. He wants to do more than them. And um, I think Milwaukee's a great city for him because he's not about the spotlight. He's not about the fame. I think he's just about being one of the best basketball players of all time. And if he keeps up with that mindset, man, there's no telling where this guy can go. Fifth player born outside the 50 United States to win the MVP. Name the other four. Dirk Nowitzki. Good. Kareem. You're talking about Hakeem. Hakeem, yeah. Yes. That's Hakeem. Big. Good. Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. Very good. I thought that one was No, slip. he was born in the Virgin Islands. I know. Very good, though. Very good. Um, I'm impressed with that one. Thank you, man. Uh, two others. Well, no, you, you said, said Dirk. Three. Did he you win? Just said, you said Dirk, yeah. Hakeem, he okay. met instead yeah. of Kareem. Okay, I got you. And so there's Duncan, two more. So one more. Oh, there's one more. Yeah, Giannis. So, so I said four others. Okay, my bad. I'm sorry. So one more. Center? Nope. Uh, I was thinking like Vladi Divac, but he never won MVP. Nah, um, oh, Canada. K- uh, oh, Nash? Yes. Oh, Steve, Steve Nash. Nash. Would have yeah. been a tough one to get. See, I think yeah. Duncan, 
and Nash yeah. were the two hardest ones to get there. Steve because Nash, you just, you right. know, uh, Canadians, you can never tell if a guy's from Canada anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, unless yeah. playing hockey. For sure. And then you just guess that he's from Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Dang, Duncan, yeah. of course, is an interesting one. Steve Nash, though. The Virgin yeah. Islands. All right, Fallen real quick before we get to Jack Delaware. Uh, Fallen, the Norfolk Tide gave up a walk-off loss to the Scranton-Wilkes-Bar Rail Riders. Barry. Barry Rail Riders. Hey, get a shorter name next time. <laughs> uh, the Norfolk Tide loss came after uh, right fielder Anderson Feliz did this. Tying run, Coteau at second. Here's the 1-0 to Valera. Line drive down to the right field corner. Long run. This drops fair. And goes Kate Coteau will score. Anderson Feliz is just jogging to the ball. And Valera's still running. Valera rounds second, rounds third. Bravik coming home. And the Rail Riders win. Anderson Feliz thought the ball game was over. He picked it up off the warning track, throws it into the stands, and Scranton Wilkesbury wins. What a mistake and a win for the Rail Riders all. Anderson Feliz with his best J.R. Smith impression, man. Uh, it's like Wilkesbury got railroaded. That's a, that's a hard one to, to be a part of. That that is, you know, it's not the first time. Like we've seen oh, that I, before, I know, right? I know. But that's uh, to, do, to win the game. I mean, dude. <laughs> That is, get some sunflower hey, seeds, put a dip in, get your attention going. Like there, I but. always say to the kids, play the game the right way, which means talk the game yep. and always tell people how many outs there are because yep. the person next to you probably doesn't know. Yep. Hopefully Tyler and Kaylee are listening. But, I mean, that's it. Nobody knows. You know one of my pet peeves in watching the kids play ball? What's is that? people don't know how many outs there are. They don't know how many outs there are. Yeah. It only goes to three, man. I mean, we're not trying Guess. to solve the like solve the quadratic equation. <laughs> it's one, two, three. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but you wouldn't imagine how many times in in baseball and softball I go to games and they don't know how many outs there are. Like, that's not hard at twelve. That's not oh, hard at fifteen. Man. That's not hard in the minor leagues or the professionals. Yeah, I mean, I want to come along with you here, Brent, but this is coming from the guy who would get chewed out so much during individual drills when he's given the scout team offensive look, and Joel Cullen would put up a one, two, or three on the count, and, <laughs> and man, you, you I forget. would mess it up so many times. Well, so I could see, considering we just asked the four other players yeah. internationally to win the MVP, and while well, you were still trying to name a couple more. Yeah, I know. We'll be on six, seven. <laughs> How many were there again? <laughs> All right, yeah. my fallen real quick, and I'd love to spend more time on it today. We'll probably have to do it tomorrow. Um, you, you know, we talked about this a lot, right? Likeness and image and making money and compensation off it. Well, California trying to set a bill to do that for college athletes. Okay, California, right? I see you. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and it would begin in 2023. Well, the NCAA is saying they would potentially ban them from participating schools that allow it the california schools of course they would because they're shutting fun down yeah what else is new so, uh there they are fallen in my opinion but it, oh. it speaks to a bigger issue we'll have more on it either later in the show but more likely oh, tomorrow we're getting into that brent yeah, yeah. uh because it's something we talked about in the past but it's getting closer and closer to happening and uh, the ncaa obviously a big opponent of it at the time hey when we come back former jags coach jack del rio joins us on action sports jacks on espn 690 the Austin Lane year-long background check continues right now on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martin, along with former Jag Austin Lane, and he played for our next guest, of course. And uh, we do have a bet on the on the show today. 
over under three and a half times. Austin was fined by Jack Del Rio in a two-year span. I think we're going to come up with the answer to that in a short time. But uh, let's welcome in on the program right now former Jags coach Jack Del Rio as we continue to celebrate 25 seasons of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, well, Del Rio was a, a big part of that stretch from 2003 till 2011. Hey, Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing, guys? Awesome. Doing great. Thanks for uh, taking a few minutes with us. Appreciate it. Uh, good to be on, Brent. And uh, and Austin, uh, couldn't couldn't resist the opportunity to come on and talk with you guys. Well, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. It's good to hear from you. Now, it, does that mean you couldn't resist the opportunity to tell some Austin Lane stories? Because some guys have been telling us a lot about those fights in practice with Austin, <laughs> and especially like Evan Britton. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me that his post football career is MMA. That's, 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 I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, he was. He was. He was always a tough guy, and uh, definitely played with a chip on his shoulder. And uh, so, yeah. No. I, in fact, I'd love to come out and watch one of your fights. Oh, I appreciate that. But we got one coming up here in Tallahassee, July twentieth. Uh, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> Oh, do, yeah, I'm writing it down right now because that's not too far from where I am over here in Destin. Yeah, you're okay. hanging out in Destin, which is a pretty awesome place. What What are you doing right now? Uh, you Obviously taking a, a little bit of time away from football. Are you enjoying this time and, or are you itching to get back in? Well, yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit of all of that. I'm, uh, I've been taking it full advantage. My wife and I have done a lot of traveling. Um, we uh, this year I'm going to be involved with some uh, with some TV analyst work and still working through exactly the details of where what when and with who, uh, but working through that and um, and my son and I are talking about doing a podcast and we're not just talking we're actually talking with people about it and uh, so Luke and I you know he had the drop back and uh, this might be Del Rio's on the drop back so we'll see we haven't formally uh agreed to anything yet but we're working through that and very likely we'll launch something come august that's a very really cool. good idea and luke has been very opinionated and obviously had a had a good college football career multiple stops so um he grew up in the business with you on the football field that will be very entertaining uh, is does that mean you are looking at life after football or do you think someday you'll get back into it in a coaching rank situation well, you know, if the right situation came along, I'd, I'd definitely entertain it. But I am, I'm doing, you know, right now, the, the Raiders have me on this paid vacation. So, <laughs> uh, and, and I've got, I've got this season coming up and next year still on, on salary. So I, you know, I'm going to go out and look for a job just like I did this past year. But, um, you know, I'm, you know, it, most likely I won't go back to being an assistant strength coach, which is how I got started. Um, But, uh, you know, we'll see. You just never know how it'll go. Um, uh, I'm I'm still very young, energetic, uh, full of life, energy. um, And, uh, you know, I'm going to spend this summer uh, traveling to several camps and and checking things out and making sure I'm staying up to – up to date with the the trends and whatnot, and then I'll study the league all fall and just make sure I'm staying relevant. Yeah, we were just talking about you earlier in the show and said you'd be great at the analyst role. So the podcast or whether you're doing some TV uh, analyst work, I think uh, you'd be fantastic at it. Uh, How much because of the travel and and because of this extended vacation uh, that the Raiders were kind enough to give you, um, have you been reflective at, at your career, not just uh, playing, but also coaching, and the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows of of your profession. 
Yeah, I think, you know, obviously you have a lot of time. You know, in, in particular, last year I, I walked the Camino. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we you, when you're walking with a backpack on your back and, and you're out on the trail just like anybody else, it's one step after the other. Uh, and, and you have a lot of time to reflect. And, man, what I think about is, is all the blessings, uh, you know, the, the, the good and the bad, and all of it makes it all special, you know. And uh, I've, been, I've been very fortunate, you know, to play as long as I did and to, and to have coached. I spent 34 straight years playing and coaching in the NFL. I mean, that, how many people can say that? That's I mean, pretty that's, cool. It's pretty cool. So uh, a, lot, a lot of great experiences and um, – and yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of good times. And then you know, you come across, you make relationships, and you come across people, and and, uh, and then you know, and then that carries on, and you see them years later, and you pick right back up. So really, really, really good stuff, really cool stuff, and a lot of time to reflect. And I, and what it was, very, very grateful. You know, a lot of gratitude. You know, I came came off the trail, and I thought, you know, um, I have so much to be thankful for, grateful for. Obviously, a healthy and happy family first. But uh, all the many blessings, and one of them was being right there in Jacksonville. You know, you know Wayne Weaver giving me that opportunity, and and uh, you know, almost nine nine years there coaching, uh, heading up the Jaguars. I t- I took that. Uh, you know, I, I really was appreciative of that opportunity. Coach, you know, being a former NFL player, I mean, how much influence did that have really in your coaching style in Jacksonville and further on? I mean, you know, people want to say maybe you were a player's coach, maybe you weren't. I mean, I always think a player's coach is a guy that you look forward to playing for. I mean, that's that, that's my opinion about it. But just how much yeah. of being an NFL player um, influenced your coaching style? Well, you know, quite a bit. I think, first of all, you know, my thing was I was always authentic. I'm going to be myself. All right, so that I was never going to try and be somebody else. I was going to be me, and uh, so because I'd played, and really only six years, you know, when I got my 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 head job, I mean, I'd only been out from playing six years, so you know, it was it was a quick transition. Uh, assistant strength coach, linebacker coach, uh, defensive coordinator, boom, and next next thing you know, I'm a, I'm a head coach. So it was a a, a rapid rise. Um, Kind of had a rocket tied to my rear. Uh, so, <laughs> it, 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 but but um, you know, I always felt like I I was in command. You know, mm-hmm. I demanded respect, but I think I got that because I was fair. You know, yeah. I was honest with guys. I was fair to them, and I I never I never asked the player to do anything that I wouldn't have wanted to do myself, or or not just wanted to do, but been willing to do. You know, mm-hmm. so it was like. This is what we do, guys. I mean, hell, I just did it six years ago. So it was like an easy sell for me. So did it end up making me a player's coach? Probably probably that was a label. But to me, it, you know, a good coach relates to his players. A good coach uh, has, has relationships with his players. And um, – and, and that's what I tried to be. Coach, speaking of relating to players, and, you know, we've been doing this series now for the past couple of weeks, and I always bring up, you know, a little fun – tidbit of like things I remember from playing with those guys in the locker room and obviously I have a lot of stories of of you being my head coach but the don't one thing but don't worry but um <laughs> the, the one thing that that I want to talk about that really stands out to me um that I remember about you is you know when we we're going through the two days we're going through the dog days of summer and everything like that and we're doing those sprints we're doing the you know like the suicides and things like that I always remember that you would actually run them with us and 
um, you know, on the outside looking in, it may not have seemed like that big a deal, but from the player's perspective, or at least my perspective, it always meant a lot to me, I think other teammates as well, because it almost seemed like you were like in the foxhole with us. Is that what you're trying to accomplish, or were you just trying to get in shape? Or why were you trying to run those sprints with us? <laughs> yeah, I was just... I was getting my conditioning in a little early. Uh, no, there, no, no. Certainly, uh, I mean, I didn't go as far as putting on the pads, but I wanted to. You know what I mean? It was like it was still fresh in me. The the uh, the you know having played and and uh, watching you sweat and being with, and that was part of me saying, you know, I'm willing to sweat with you right alongside you. More, you know, kind of like kind of like brothers. You know, like we're in this, we're in this together and, uh, and I'm going to grind a little bit here with you. And, um, you know, of course I would jump in with mostly with the offensive lineman where I could, where I could win a race. I was selective on who I picked to run with. I didn't run with Rasheem Matthews. <laughs> Very good idea. Good plan there. Uh, you know, you mentioned Wayne Weaver when you got hired, and it was a, a rapid rise. I think the story I've been told, I wasn't here covering the Jags, and I came in 2008, but the story was something to the effect of you had a great interview, and you had this plan and a book. And Can you take us back to how you got this job at Jacksonville? I can, absolutely. Uh, first of all, like, about a week before, maybe two weeks before the uh, Senior Bowl down in Mobile, um, I was preparing. And I'm in the office, and guys are like, what What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm you know, getting ready for my interview. And they're like, what interview? Do you have an interview? I'm like, no, I don't have one. But there are two jobs open, Cincinnati Bengals and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, uh, and there'll be another day to go into why I didn't prepare for Cincinnati, but I got ready for the Jaguars. I mean, I, I studied them. I, I studied their needs. Um, I, I just went through the, the organization, uh, talked to the scouts, talked to, just talked to everybody I could about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so I, I prepared, and, and, I, and I did put a book together, and, um, an interview book. And, uh, and I, and I cut my hair and I shined my shoes and I brought a suit down to Mobile. And I had not been asked for an interview. I I haven't been asked, but I prepared in faith thinking if there's anybody that, I mean, there's only two job offers or two job opportunities. I said, if I get an offer to interview with the Jaguars, I'm going to be ready. And so I went down to Mobile and I was doing my normal duties and, and they, they called, and, and uh, John Fox told me, hey, they, they'd asked for permission. He said, there's no way you're going to get that job, but it'd be a great experience for you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Well, I yeah, I look forward to taking it. So I got up and went and took the interview. And um, uh, it, was, uh, it, it was tremendous. We had, we had probably 30 people that were uh, people of faith, and they were praying for me when I went in. And, um, which was pretty cool. And I went in there and I met with, uh, it was Wayne Weaver and Paul Vance. And we went in and it was, it was a moment where everything I hoped to be able to say about who I was and what I believed in, it came up and I said it and I had, I had like zero regret walking out. So I walked out of the interview. I'm like, well, I just, I just, Gave it everything I I have and everything I am, and there's I don't have a single regret, and uh, 
and yeah, and it ended up working out. I got offered the job, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We had uh, we had heard a little tidbits of the story, but never like that. So thanks for sharing, Jack Del Rio, former Jags coach, with us. And of course, it turned out to be a good decision by Wayne Weaver uh, for the next eight years as uh, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you made a a difficult, poignant decision early in your coaching career uh you're still a young guy in this profession and you make the call to go with david garrard over previously high draft pick byron leftwich can you take us behind that decision and it obviously worked out for a long time for dg9 well you know we were really struggling with uh with with byron and and uh kind of struggling with who who should be playing byron or or david uh, Byron was the first round pick, not just a high pick, a first round yeah. pick. And, um, and James Shaq Harris was squarely in the corner of Byron. And, um, and so it wasn't an easy decision to come to, uh, but I felt like I had to do it. I studied them and, and what I determined when I was, when I was studying them, the two of them, uh, Byron was a very quick decision maker, super, super bright. And he didn't always articulate it that way, so he didn't always come across as the guy who was really bright. But he's sharp. He is really, really smart and and understands football and understands concepts, can read defenses, and he gets it quick. Um, But his delivery is so damn slow. I mean, mean, he'd reach back and it'd take forever to get rid of the ball. So so in, in watching the two, David was like, took a little longer to make his mind up and and the two of them but he had a really quick release and the two of them ironically would get the ball to the same point almost identical identical times how about that okay the difference is david had the ability to extend plays he could take off with his feet heck he was they're both they were both big guys they're both you know 240 is what I try to keep them at, and they both try to go toward 250. <laughs> um, but, you know, David could throw out of a phone booth. Very short, compact delivery, and he had the ability to extend plays with his feet, and I just felt that David would help us win more. And, uh, you know, it wasn't an easy decision. Obviously, you know, first former first-round pick, he, it's not going to sit well with him. Uh, Shaq was, was, was squarely in Byron's corner. It was going to cause a rift between us but you know what i was like the hell with it i owe these guys i owe the city i owe everybody that i i owe mr weaver everybody involved i've got to have the guts to stand up for what i know is right and i knew in my heart that david was was the guy uh that could help lead us and um you know he was humble and with his mobility and, and his ability to throw out of a phone booth you know he he had a great year heck what was it twenty eight touchdowns and three interceptions, something like that. Yeah. Was, mm-hmm. He had a he had a tremendous season. Okay, so uh, after after we went with him and uh, and kind of validated the decision. Yeah, Gerard, we had him on last week, and he was telling us he thought it was a joke. He was sleeping. <laughs> he said when he found everybody woke him up, and he, they thought they were playing a prank on him. That uh, Leftwich's stuff was <laughs> out of the locker and and moved around, and uh, so pretty wild to hear both ends of that story. All right, I want to yeah. fast forward a little bit though later on because I feel like, and this is just me, I have no idea. So you can you tell me, but 2011, you know you're up against it. Uh, you, you know. It, 
things didn't go well or as well in 2010, didn't make the playoffs. You have a young guy in Blaine Gabbert. You have Garrard. You have McCown. It, it felt like you were trying to go back to that left which Garrard well with Gabbert. Is there, was there any feeling of that, or was that a totally different situation? Uh, totally different situation. Uh, something that I was going to wait to like divulge in a book someday. <laughs> but um, I'll give you a little nugget right here. Okay. Okay. I had no idea we were going to draft Blaine Gabbert. All right. Did you did you draw did your jaw just drop? Yeah, it did. It did. Did, did you did you, did you <laughs> okay. sense the silence? <laughs> okay, no idea. All right, let me just say that again. I had no. In fact, I left to go get something to eat because our our pick wasn't for you know for much longer in the in the, in the draft. You're supposed and, to you know, pick sixteenth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I go, and then I'm sitting there filling my plate, thinking, oh, great, we got a couple more hours before we pick, or, you know, hour and a half, whatever it might be. And uh, I see the Jaguars are on the clock. Wow. Wow. And I'm like, what the <laughs> blank is going on? And I walk in, I walk into the draft room, and I could see it on the faces of the people in the room. They knew, all right, how uncomfortable that was, how wrong that was, okay? And uh, so that that's, again, that's for another day to fill in all the blanks. Yeah. I, I know I just dropped a bomb there, but the reality is I had no idea. In fact, uh, my son, Luke, who we've talked about quite a bit, and I had ranked all the quarterbacks, and, and we like blame. Both of us kind of had the same feel. We liked him. He was in the Nick Foles range, like third, fourth round. He, wow. he, he wasn't. He wasn't a first round. He wasn't a guy to trade your draft and go up to get him at number nine. And so that was not part of uh, coaching. That was not part of me. And that was the first indication that my time there in uh, in Jayville was running running short. Yeah, they were. They weren't. Yeah, it didn't seem like you had much of an influence then at that no. time. Uh, no, that that was that was the that was the, the you know you could kind of the foretelling I guess of of the end of my time there in, in Jacksonville. I know you'll have more details later on, but did, were you forced then to play Gabbert, or did you make that decision just to play him? No, we you know we uh, were doing all we could. Nobody ever came in and told me who to play. Uh, it, it didn't it didn't go like that. I mean, yeah. I was a good soldier. I got up there and hey, this is our guy. I mean, I. You know, I, I, I could have just uh, exploded right there and kind of kind of laid down the gauntlet. But I, I, chose to, I chose to be a good soldier and play it out and, um, you know, kind of bite the bullet and fight through it. And, and that's, that's what I told the staff to do and, because everybody was stunned. Yeah. I mean, you know, no, nobody – we were not in position, but that was something – you know, going back, uh, you know, I think I think Gene really fell in love with him, and, and that was his guy, and that's what he wanted to do, and um, you know, so uh, again, the rest is history. Yeah, we'll which, yeah, about, we'll get into more deep. I know I've opened up. I know I've opened up. Uh, uh, you know, Pandora's box. So we'll get into this in the future. But that, 
that's that's what I can tell you today. I appreciate you sharing Thank it. You, I think yeah. the fans appreciate you sharing it. Uh, and by There's the way, a story for you. There's a story. We're telling stories today. I, oh, we yeah, are telling yeah. stories. There, and, and this, I'll just say this too. And I remember from that year. You don't have to comment on this. And it turned out to be this way. I just talked to Austin about it, and he was part of some of these years. Is you even hinted in that year? I think it was around 2011. It's very you don't get hints like this from coaches and news conferences from where we sit, but just the idea that there wasn't a ton of talent on the roster. Well, if you go back and look, 2011, 12, 13, I mean, how that ended up playing out as the Jaguars, you know, kind of went along, there really wasn't a lot of talent on that team, um, and and I don't know, that's probably a defense for your whole staff, really. But as it turned out, there were not a lot of good draft picks. Um, for a long stretch of time um, under that regime. All right, Austin, what do you got? Well, Coach, i got to ask you, man. I mean, you know, spending almost a decade with the Jaguars, going against Peyton Manning every single season, um, you know, doing battles with him, all of a sudden you go to Denver, and now you face him every single day in practice. What was that like, and what do you take away from Peyton Manning, not only as a player, but also as a person in general? Well, he he's the consummate pro. He, he is the an amazing, amazing teammate. Uh, we 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 rolled up there in practice. We drive him crazy because you know we had a really good defense and we do a lot of exotic things. And he's like, "Wait a minute, you didn't you didn't do that in Jacksonville?" I'm like, "I wasn't the defensive coordinator in Jacksonville. I, I, I'm letting it rip in practice, brother." So he, he'd be like, he would be like shaking his head. But you talk about uh, he raised the level of intensity and the level of professionalism in the entire Broncos organization when he came there. And uh, we had three great years, won a ton of football games, went to a Super Bowl, um, you know, went to the playoffs every year. I mean, it was, it was a great run and uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for, for Peyton. Now he was a pain in the rear (laughs) in Jacksonville. We go 12 and four, we go 12 and four and don't, and don't win our division. You know they're yeah. they're sitting over there at fourteen. We go eleven and five and don't win our division. You know it's like so he causes some headaches with that. But uh, but uh, like I said, the consummate pro, uh, a, a man's man, a great a great great football player and a great person. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I want to ask you something from a dad perspective. Uh, I've always wondered this, and, and to be honest with you, I want to do a story, a, a documentary, a whatever on it uh, from every Jags coach, from Gus Bradley to now Doug Marone, and and you go back to obviously Tom Coughlin, uh, yourself, Mike Malarkey, but you guys have kids that grow up around this. The good times, the 12 and 4, the 11 and 5, the beat in Pittsburgh, that's fun. That's awesome. They're along for the ride. The not-so-good times... How tough is it on the kids? And from Luke's perspective, especially, because, and, and really, I should say the entire family, but I say the kids. But Luke even, he, he dealt with it as a player because of the college football and, and playing at Florida and playing in other stops. How challenging is that? How thick skinned does it make you? Uh, does it make you bitter as a dad, as a son, as, as people? Um, how do you deal with it? Because that's just a different world that so many of us don't have to deal with. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, each family deals with it in their own way. I, for us, you know, we embrace the fact that that's part of playing and coaching in the NFL. I mean, it's ultra competitive. You know, they're really, really good people preparing each and every week to play you and, and to compete against you and to coach against you. And uh, I think that was, you know, I tried to help them understand it. And we didn't spend a lot of time like, 
worrying about it. I mean, you know, it was like you take the good with the bad, and 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 you're gonna take you're gonna get some bad when you don't win. So a, a good story on that. My my daughter Hope came home from school. We were actually with the Panthers, and uh, she was like, Dad. I'm so popular. Everybody loves me because you're the defensive coordinator and the team is kicking butt. I'm like, I'm like, honey, I can really change quick. Okay, so if we if we happen to hit a slide or anything happens, you know, it, those same people are going to turn on you now. So they may not be your best friends. You know, you may you may want to deal with people that aren't necessarily you know talking football. Yeah. And so she's like, really. Kind of, kind of like walked away, kind of perplexed, you know. And then, so lo and behold, we went on a slide. And a couple, couple weeks later, uh, the team, uh, you know, wasn't winning, and she came home, Daddy, Daddy, what you told me was right. <laughs> they're, they're being mean to me now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I said it's all right. I said when we go back on a winning streak, they'll turn around and love you again. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And, and and then that happened. So it's just you know like one of those life lessons you know that you can you can kind of show your kids. But that, that's life in the league. I mean you know they're, you're going to win, you're going to lose. Um, you know, and no matter who you are, and uh, no matter where you are. That's part of it in the NFL. Yeah, this is awesome. Former Jags coach Shaq Del Rio uh, with us. Uh, of course, former Oakland Raiders coach, uh, defensive coordinator, couple stops, former NFL player. We only got like a minute to go, and I would love to keep you. I'm going to go rapid fire real quick, and Austin wants to ask you one thing, too. Uh, All right. When the Jags won in 2017, were you happy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd long uh, – the, the point that, that you guys missed good coaching for a while was, was already made. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had a hell of a staff when we when I was there. We had a hell of a staff. Absolutely. Uh, how about uh, how many times have you almost been the USC coach? Either fact or fiction. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's mostly uh, a bunch of alums that like to see it happen. So I leave it at that. All right. And uh, three and a half is the over under on fines of Austin Lane as you were the coach. Is it over or under? No, I think it's under. Oh, it's under it's for under. sure. Come Absolutely. It's no, no, man. No, I don't remember. I mean, Austin, he fought in practice, but I didn't find him. No, for that. of I course mean, not. I mean, uh, no, I mean, he, he was he was reliable on time. Uh, I don't remember having to find him. I, I, there you go, Brent. I'm, I'm fine. disappointed. You had it. I really wanted the over. Sorry to burst your bubble. You just <laughs> lost some money, Brent. Uh, Coach, I got one more question for you uh, before we head off the show here. Did this interview go better than my combine interview? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I remember it. I was a little nervous. <laughs> hey, do you really very... re- you remembered his interview in the combine? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, absolutely. And he was extremely nervous and uh wasn't a good interview. But one thing you could see was intensity. You could see it in his eyes and uh and I think we were attracted to that. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Hey, Jack Del Rio, uh, man, I wish I got you on earlier so we could have spent another half hour with you. But I appreciate you taking the time coming on. 25 seasons of the Jacksonville Jaguars. You don't say the Jacksonville Jaguars and talk about those 25 years, certainly, uh, without Jack Del Rio. And I'm, I'm sure you had fun during those times. Well, listen, I was I was proud to, to represent the Jaguars. Uh, it was an honor to be the head coach. I, I'm thankful for, for Mr. Wayne Weaver giving me my opportunity and I and I loved living there and, and raising my my children there and all that so uh, it was a great experience for me and uh, 
I love the people of Jacksonville. I'm back quite a bit, so I go in there and see a bunch of buddies uh, quite often. So we'll see you over there again sometime soon. Absolutely. Please say hello to the family, and uh, we will be looking forward to the Del Rio Drop Back podcast coming maybe in <laughs> August, right? You got it. All right. Sounds like a plan. First week August. Yep. Thanks, Coach. Sounds good. Appreciate Thanks, Coach. All right, you got it. All okay. right. Uh, enjoy that vacation. Destin. Yes, sir. A uh, great place to be. Well, he dropped that one on us. Oh, yeah. Are, are, are we trending right now? The no, uh, no idea. As the coach of the football team, they were drafting Blaine Gabbert when yeah. he got drafted. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, but we got to run. Thanks for hanging with us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Thanks to uh, Jack Del Rio for coming on. We really appreciate it. Austin Lane, Justin Kuzar, I'm Brent Martineau. Back with you on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 on Wednesday. Make sure you watch us on TV, CBS 47 and Fox 30. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.